You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes. This is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey, everybody. We've got Tawny Prazak back on the show with some triathlon news. Oh, that's such a good one. And she hasn't been on the show in a couple episodes, so it's really good to have her back. And then I've got some really great emails to read off. There's some questions in here about how to train and all kinds of good stuff, carrying water on long runs. And then we go into the training log, and there's lots and lots of good stuff in there. I'm starting to transition into doing more um, volume, tons and tons of volume. Got in 18 hours of training last week, and uh, back-to-back days of three-hour rides and one-hour one runs, things like that, man. Oh, it's so good. Such a good training log in there. So let's go ahead and get started. All right, let's... Track down Tawny Prazak, call her up on the Skypes, and see what's going down with some track one. Where's that phone? Let's call her. Where's the phone? Oh, here it is. Let's do it. Hello? Hello? Hi! <laughs> what's up? Man in his lunch break in his car. <laughs> I know, right? I love I think it. I'm, I think I'm rec- Wow. I'm already recording. I've got a new computer. The picture looks really clear. Well, I've been using skin products. Is my shirt all crazy looking? Um, It's blue checker plaid-ish. Oh, it's not jumping around on the screen though? Oh, no, no, no. How do I sound? (laughs) You sound great. All right, let's do this. The quality of the picture is like the best I've ever seen on a Skype video. It's phenomenal. Stoked. So, what new, kind of new computer did you get? It's my MacBook Air 13 inch. Nice. So, very nice. I like it. Paid for by the by the friendly people, the friendly fans of Zentri. Nice. Oh wow. <laughs> um, I see your little 140.6 sticker in the background there. Oh. Look so Tawny's looking at the back of my. She can. I'm in my Is car. Is that an Xterra that you have? Yeah. I almost got one of those, but the awesome. fact that it sits on a truck bed and is a gas guzzler on my budget was a deal breaker. But I love the style of that don't car. Don't say that. It's not a gas guzzler. It's okay. I'm sorry. Well, I don't know. I have a Subaru Outback, and I'm not going to lie. The gas mileage on it is phenomenal. Oh, it is? Oh, yeah. It's I'm great. I'm going to get one of those next. Yeah. It's great. And if it's, I mean, I can throw two full-size bikes in the back. Like, It's a little sketchier because they're like stacked. You need to put towels in and stuff. but. Yeah. There's a lot of room back there. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so people don't know, the Xterra is a body-on-frame style. And then what that does is it makes it super tough for off-roading, but then it use, it weighs more, so it's more mm-hmm. a gas guzzler. But it looks so cool. Like, it's one of the coolest-looking cars around because, know. you know, I used to be a fan of, like, the old-school um, Toyota 4Runners and yeah. all that but they changed uh, like all these cars. The look of them's changed so much, and they're just and the Xterra is one that has stayed the same over the years. Tony, are, are you turning into a retro grouch? <laughs> I might, but like I said, usually the retros where the gas guzzling comes into play. I know. 
Well, cool. So, I'm glad I sound good and I look adequate. Yes. And let's see. We have a lot of stuff to cover today. Mm. And you got a call with Lucho after this? No, I just got off the phone with him. In fact, it went... Because Lucho and I have a tendency to like kind of warm up together where yeah. we'll talk for up to a half an hour of just rambling about stuff. And then we get on the podcast and I was like crap we didn't get out to all the questions today and i was like i gotta go i have like two minutes to turn it around and get on my next one yeah. so all good so yeah i'm done with that so i'm on cool. my podcast roll this morning and then i gotta go get new contacts yeah um do you wear contacts when you race yes totally because yeah. i yeah. see that you're wearing the glasses right now as am i yeah so tawny and i are both wearing our nerd librarian glasses so totally nerded out because we're um we're reading the news, so we have to look smart. <laughs> ah, good point, good point. All right, so you go ahead and start off wherever you want. Okay, well, first off, I want to say I was super stoked to see Tawny go in and edit some of this stuff. You've done that before. I love it when you do this because thing. <laughs> uh, you can you can use uh, Workflowy, which is this cool little um, uh, doc online document system. It's all just one big document, and you can do bullet points mm-hmm. on it. That's all it does is bullet points, and then tab over for more and sub categories and stuff. And then it's super easy to share. And then somebody else can you can share to read or share to edit. And Tawny went in there and added. You added it in Shark Week, right? So, <laughs> yeah, so, Shark's been on my mind. I just brought this up on our my show's Lucha, so I don't want to like overdo it this week. But they've been on my mind a lot this week. Oh yeah, and it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, with sharks. So we're gonna talk about Jordan Rap, uh, Training Peaks, fitness, my fitness pal, uh, calorie counting too much, Shark Week, and I had just added something about Scully helmet. Yeah, I'm gonna have to click on this link and check um, it out. You got to look at that when you get a chance, or w- when we get to it. Okay. It's gonna blow your mind. It's so cool. Ooh, okay. Sexy. So then, uh, let's talk about. You want to do Jordan Rap first? Yeah. So. Man, um, it's interesting, like, you know, just all the racing he's done this year. The guy, even though he kind of, I think he's really hard on himself, he's absolutely one of the most durable tra- pro triathletes, I think, around. I mean, with all, he kind of, like, spells it out in some of his recent blogs of everything he's done. I don't know. Do you agree? Yeah, totally. I love him. He's awesome. Too. He's just so, and he's got a lot of heart. You know, he's supporting a family, too, because he has his son and now two twin babies. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know what kind of pressure that sort of adds to the whole dynamic of being a professional triathlete. And performance becomes a whole, has a whole other meaning. I mean, he even kind of alluded to it in his latest blog of, like, you know, when things aren't necessarily fairy books uh, or, you know, happily ever after sort of finishes at races everyone who's supporting you financially maybe kind of like is like, well, you know, what's going to happen here with this yeah. guy? You know, it's tough. I think, so. um, I bet that, uh, so sometimes I'm out on a ride or a run or something and it's getting a little bit dangerous. Or I'm getting a little bit exhausted. I'll cut it short because I have a kid to support. Yeah. And I don't want to, it's not worth it. But I think sometimes in his situation, he's like, I've got a family to support. I better, really extend myself to win this race or, or you know what I mean? Like it totally. may, be the, may be the opposite of where he has to, because his family depends on him yeah. performing well, sometimes he uh, has to really extend himself, overextend himself just to be sure. 
And I think his wife, Jill, is actually a coach as well. I know she was at least several years ago. I don't know if she's still doing that or has taken over as full-time mommy. Um, but, you know, it's a, the other interesting thing about Jordan this year, it's a really good case study in the whole KPR point system and, you know, someone who's really tried to put himself out there and going, like, the more racing route versus, like, winning a couple big ones and being locked into Kona. And I think originally his intention this year was absolutely to get back to Kona, where he's had eh, performances. Um, I've always at least, you know, again, regarding him as a top guy, has all, have always placed him high in my predictions for Kona. But knowing he's maybe not so quiet there on the swim and just kind of needs to figure out that race a little bit more so this year i think he was making the push for it did a crap ton of 70.3s and even how many ironmans has he done at least one texas right yeah and fell short he was the first guy on the list of people who just missed the cut for the first cutoff for kpr at the end of july um and that's gonna be hard blow to the ego huh so i think it's I may be wrong about some of this. Maybe you'll know. Uh, Maybe. I think it's a little ironic in a way or a cruel twist of fate that he's kind of a spokesperson for the Iron Man brand in mm. a way. Isn't, isn't, isn't he? A little bit? Yeah, totally. Um, he's on their payroll, actually. I don't okay. know. This was something that he discussed on one of the articles I was reading recently. And, but he, Yeah, he's on their payroll. And he's also, an, uh, I don't know, an editor. I don't know what you would call it, but a spokesperson for Slow Twitch. So, I think he's more of an editor there, not just yeah. a spokesperson. So when people start um, saying nasty things about the Iron Man brand on Slow Twitch, he jumps in and defends them. Yeah. And says, oh, well, it's being done this way for whatever. Or he clarifies, right? Like more. Well, here's why. the other thing about Jordan. He's a genius when it comes to his mind. He's got like a very engineering, statistical, yeah, you know, analytical went to brain. He went to so the- when people try to like generalize, he'll be like, no, 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 no. Here's yeah. the numbers. Here's the stats. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I love it. One time. Straight. One time he called Starkey out, the real Stark, yeah. the real, real Starkowitz out. Oh, like Andrew Starkowitz? Who Starkowitz was blaming Iron Man Perform for screwing up his stomach, and he Starkowitz had it had proof in that his straw was discolored afterwards. There must have been some funk I in there. I remember that, yeah. And Jordan Rapp is like, no, that is from a res- any drink will do that. The residue left out in the sun will do that to any straw. And that was, I was like, wow, he pulled out some mad science right there. And, I didn't hear that part about it, but I uh, remember the Starkey, the whole yeah, drink. Yeah, no, Jordan said it straight. And then, uh, so anyway, so somebody that's really loyal to the Iron Man brand got cut from the from qualifying for Kona by one position. Yeah. And that's got to hurt, you know. And um, so that's, that's kind of, if you know a lot about the industry and what's going on, when you see that Jordan Rapp just barely missed it, you know, you're kind of like, oh, crap, you know, and then, but that's the way the system works. But the system he's defending kind of in a way. Kicked his butt. Kick, yeah, he wasn't able to, he wasn't able to use it to get in. But I thought what was really cool was he made a big blog post about how he's um, not, even if he, because there's still a chance that if he raced and got some good results, other people dropped out that he could get into Kona and that he's, he's saying already he's decided he's not going to go anyway. And that he's raced. He's, he's better off saying no and focusing on other things at the, at the time. And I thought that was really neat because on Zentri, we're always talking about making great choices 
And sometimes you want to say no because saying yes to stuff is a little bit of an you shortchange yourself because you're saying yes just for the ego trip. Mm-hmm. And then, but then now that you've said yes, now you've overcommitted to things and it wears you out. Take self discipline to say no. I yeah. mean, I can totally, like, I'm a geek when it comes to wanting to race and all that kind of stuff. And I just want to, like, especially you get, like, hey, this new Iron Man just debuted and everyone's like, let's sign up for the Iron Man. Oh, and the next thing you know, you're dropping hundreds of dollars and you're like, wait, yeah. what the heck did I just get myself into? I, that wasn't even my idea, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so much happens like that. But no, I, I agree, like, for sure. It's definitely a practice in self discipline. And, um, you know, I've always, again, like regarded Jordan as someone who's pretty wise and uh, intuitive and, you know, introspective and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it actually kind of surprises me to see that he has sort of like torn apart his body, like to race so much. Yeah. Um, but I think even, I think he even said it in his blog, you know, each year he's getting a little bit wiser and wiser and realizing like he's doing things now that he probably should have done before. So it's just a learning curve. And even the best of the best are vulnerable to these like, crazy race schedules that beat him down yeah coming up short yeah i know my friend john hirsch likes to race sprint triathlon he's an iron man racer that's what he's best at but he does sprints as training yeah because uh it's good racing experience and it's a good way to peek yourself out and then you recover really fast and then so he mixes his calendar with, with lots of sprint triathlons and that makes him better um it's uh speed work that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, if you want to take, you know, follow a traditional Maffetone type of plan and you're still wondering how to get in speed work, um, you know, you're out is signing up for the shorter races and putting things into practice there for sure. Yeah. Without overdoing it, though. By the way, are you recording this at the same time? <laughs> I am. Okay, good. Just in case. Just I in just case. started. <laughs> I just started only two and a half minutes ago, though. So if we okay. did get, if we do get cut off, we'll lose the first part. It's okay. Uh, no, I'm a lot more. You're the only person that I've had these issues of it like dropping us. So I, I think, yeah, my other laptop was getting old, and so it was maxing out and just dropping the the thing that was hogging the most resources. I think mine is kind of on that same page. In fact, I just spent like an hour yesterday. I didn't realize I had all this old Kona footage from a couple years that I've been out there. Videos uh-huh. that were just jacking, like taking up all my memory. And my computer's been acting weird, and it's like, so yeah, I, I hear you. I think I might be in need of a new laptop soon. This thing's so old. Oh, yeah, well, this new, the MacBook Air I've got, I've talked about it plenty on the show because I wanted people to know how much I appreciated it, um, that it's got solid state, uh, a solid-state hard drive in it, mm. which is basically the hard drive is the same thing, as made out of the same stuff as RAM, so there's no spinning disks in it, so uh. it's really energy-efficient. And so it's got like a 13-hour battery life. Nice. And then um, it's super, super fast because it's just solid state. So it doesn't – kind of like how it's the difference between a cassette player and a um, and your iPod, right? So your iPod, you can shake it and drop it and stuff like that, and the music still sounds the same. But you remember with a cassette player <laughs> – you can do some crazy remixes. You can make it sound really weird by shaking it really hard because there's physical stuff moving in there. Yeah. All that tape. So, um, um, so wait, sorry. Uh, going back to Jordan Rapta, what's the yeah. Greg Bennett spin on all of it? Oh, cool. Yeah. So oh, no. There's a video interview with Cal, Cupcakes with Cal, <laughs> with Greg Bennett. But people really ought to go see the Jody Swallow one because that's funny. 
And then, um, but with Greg, he interviews Greg Bennett and Greg Bennett is one of the most successful, I would say short to medium distance. I don't even know if he did halves, but he did tons of Olympic distance. I think yeah. he did halves, but he is super successful and well off from all the race, um, all the prize money that he's won from doing shorter circuit stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's a real, there's a, there's a moment, a conversation point in the interview where Greg said that he considered going longer distances, but he said no. And he stuck with the stuff that he was really, really good at and made a nice living that way. It's yeah. You know, the triathletes at that pro professional level, you can figure out a race schedule that and, um, series that will definitely pay out big. And you know, this is obviously another huge thing right now in the sport is that these prize purses at Ironman, it just, they don't, equal out to being as fair as they could be for yeah, the pros who are investing yeah. so much time and life into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Greg Bennett, not to mention his wife, Laura Bennett, who is a badass. I'm sure those two are probably like the royalty when it comes to like how much they've been able to make off the sport. She just got second at Boulder too in her Ironman yeah. debut. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that. I was yeah. really interested to see that. It was yeah. her first time stepping it up to long course like that. And I don't know if she's going to make a career out of it. I have no idea. But yeah. um, it's probably you know, a bucket list thing at, at the very least. I know that with me, I am much, much more successful at sprint and Olympic distance triathlons. Mm-hmm. And um, that I really should stick with those over anything else. And um, it's just uh, the longer stuff is alluring. You know, yeah, yeah. I my my whole mindset is a hundred percent on seventy point threes. Like I want to figure out that distance and yeah. not play around with any other distance until I feel like I kind of like done what I need to do, accomplish what I want to accomplish there before like kind of venturing on. But the other stuff, you know, the long stuff definitely um, is more attractive to me than the short stuff. Yeah. I mean, like you, I do, I'll do the short stuff as kind of fun local supplementary things, but nothing serious. Yeah. So. All right, let's talk about uh, Training Peaks. I saw a news flash on this, but maybe you know a lot more about what's going on. With no, the only reason I really know about it is because it affected my clients and I. I have a lot of clients who are really, really into logging their food, and we do a lot of nutrition work together. Um, and all of a sudden, it went away, and we were like, what the hell? <laughs> um, then you get the email notice saying, like, sorry, you know, we're dropping our software within Training Peaks. And we're seeking up with my fitness pal, though. So, I even it's not that big of a deal, but I know it has affected a lot of athletes um, and their coaches scouring to find like some good uh, software to track food and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it seems like they've had a decent relationship with my fitness pal that's now revved up. So, like, what you can see now on the Training Peaks software is that you see their daily caloric intake so it's on the athlete to upload everything and then you'll see the macronutrient nutrient breakdown of calorie or carbs fat and protein but then you'd have to actually log into my fitness pal if you want to see any further detail like well of that 50 percent carbs was that all burgers you know like yeah. bread or was it you know vegetables so, so as their you coach have- how do you see it you have um, to log I- in yeah, so it's a kind of annoying because I have so many accounts and so many logins and all that kind of stuff. So right now I just had to create another account for my fitness pal simply so I, if I want to go log in and see 
their actual meals and like details there. I have to go in and friend all these people and like then yeah. I have to get access to their diaries to see. So it adds one more step in the process whereas training peaks it was all just all in one day's box. Yeah, um, that's a pain. So it's kind of annoying in that sense. I'm hoping that eventually Training Peaks incorporates the meals and the food, yeah. actual food too, because it's just hard to have, you know how this is, like being a podcast host, there's 8 million websites that we have to like be, oh, I know. <laughs> passwords and all this junk for. <laughs> I know, just for, um, just for this Skype phone call, I have to, after it's recorded, I have to go and open up another app that converts it to an MP3. Yeah. And then I got to open up another app that levels it. Yep. And then I've got to, I think I got to run it through something else, you know, and then I got to edit it. And it's like the amount of things that steps you have to remember to go through. Whenever yeah. I, I'm trying to coach somebody through their first, like people want to make a podcast. I'm always like, yeah, I'll show you how. And they, after a while, they're just like, forget it. <laughs> it's, it's actually like not that much. hard it's not like i i'm not a web person by yeah. any means i have no education in it it's not that it's technically hard it's just that it's very time consuming and a lot of steps a lot of steps and i think that's what filters out people from coaching you know oh, yeah. from podcasting all this stuff yeah yeah, yeah. but so, it's all good um but it does kind of like with the whole training peaks thing like you know, the way I work with a lot of clients is that we'll sort of at least be like, all right, here's what you need to be focusing on calorically, macronutrient-wise for certain types of training days. And then once you kind of have that baseline and the person knows, then I think, like, you don't have to be so obsessive about logging calories and all that because, dude, that will drive you crazy in itself. Don't you agree? Yeah, I have never counted calories more than like one meal I, I i just want to start punching myself in my me head. too i yeah. hate it i in hate fact, it I th- the only reason i know some of the things that i eat like the caloric is because or the calories is because i send it i do it to then give that recipe to my client yeah i'll tell you <laughs> that, i wouldn't really care i am big though on looking to see how many calories something is i love that you know and making a choice like Wow, this one thing, this one burger is 600 calories while this one fish taco is 250. You know, like, wow, that's, and then, and then choosing, making the right choice based on what your, the rest of your day looks like. Yeah. You know, a 600 calorie meal, a burger is fine if that, if you're going to be working out a lot after you digest that, you know, and you need all those calories. Yeah. So it's not that always you want to go low. It's you want to choose the right calories for how your day is going to go. Absolutely. And that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like I like to help people figure out, you know, it doesn't need to be the same every day. And on your off day, unless you're ravenously hungry coming off like a huge weekend or something, um, you don't need to like be put, try, like forcing down 4,000 calories or something. Like, you know, eat to the activity level of the day. Yeah. Um, do you – so – I don't know. Do you like do your client? Like, cause I know you coach a little bit too. Do you guys um, talk about like the whole calorie counting thing and like working with that? Um, a little bit, and it's again kind of like what I was saying. With um, you need you need to get you need to coach people and people individually need to get to the point of where I like to weigh myself every morning, okay, and then remember what I ate the day before, um, and then say. And then how much I worked out the day before. And sometimes it's not the last day. It's the last few days. But then 
you can say, okay, you get to the point where you figure out about how much food is enough and how much is too much and how much is too little based on how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, uh, I've kicked up my training over the past few days to almost twice as much as what I was doing before. And I left work in the middle of the afternoon to run down the street to Burger King to get a hamburger because I was dying. Like, I was so hungry. And I was okay with it because, the one, the burger I got, I loaded it up. You know, they do, like, lettuce and onion and toma- uh, tomatoes and stuff like that on it. So at least there was something on it, you know. Yeah. And then I knew I was going to work out again in the evening um, and that uh, I needed to eat something, you know. And don't, don't deny yourself food that I think an eating disorder, there's that one kind of eating disorder where you don't orthorexia. Yeah. You're the first, like we talked about that a while ago. Yeah. Where you don't, you, you need calories, but you won't eat them because you perceive those calories as not good enough for you. Yeah. Well, granted, I'm not going to lie. Burger King, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. What the hell? Come on. You can do a little better pre, see, that's where I make the argument well, if you know you're going to be working out that much and multiple times in one day, plan ahead and make sure to have like a giant homemade turkey sandwich or something well, like that. I'd already you. eaten two TV dinners and two breakfasts that day. Sounds like we need to work on your diet. You're wait, eating wait, wait, wait. meals no, and fast food. What the heck? I had a surprise meeting you? that I had to miss lunch. And <laughs> so the normal lunch that I would normally eat was I didn't get the chance to eat it. That's not my point. It's all about the quality. <laughs> we need to work on the quality of your food here, man. I'm looking around right now, and there's not. <laughs> so, and it, I had to grab something quick. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, there's some places where if you get a hamburger, that you can actually get an almost healthy hamburger if you get all the veggies and then none of that crap cheese that they put on it. Yeah. So, but that's hoping that they're not using pink sludge anymore for filler in the burger, though, right? Oh. I love that stuff. I just love. <laughs> I just sit around and watch videos of pink sludge. Oh my god! Um, so the only kind of pink sludge I like is when it's in like the ice cream gelato form, and it's meant to look like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, okay, I look at you, and you're obviously a healthy, vibrant guy. Uh-huh. So maybe you're an anomaly where fast food and TV dinners are okay. Oh, you could get some really healthy TV dinners now. That's what I that's what I ate yesterday. Like okay. super healthy ones. And yeah. then uh, and then that way you have some variety. You know, so cuz a lot of times people eat junk food and crap because there's not enough variety in what they're eating. Mm. So, um and then again, you got to look at calorie. I would do calories first and then uh well, I would calories I would rank calories the same as as quality, yeah. Um, um, if you don't if you don't get in the calories you need that day, then you're going to end up eating really bad quality. So you got to make sure you have your calories first, and then that helps you make better choices. In yeah. Your, so timing of it, like so, like skipping breakfast, lunch, and then binging for the rest of the day. Exactly. So I knew yeah. that if I didn't grab a mid afternoon snack of something quick that my dinner choice was going to be terrible because I had to leave work and then go right to a bowling alley for my son's um, triathlon team's party. We all know bowling alley food is just top notch. I looked at that food while <laughs> I was there and I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. Yeah, it's you know. Bad. But on the way home, I, was, I, I, uh, 
I swung by the house and I got, I made a, a healthy peanut butter and jelly sandwich made out of like really good ingredients. And I was able to do that and have some control over what I ate for dinner because I'd already snacked on something and got my calorie count back up. So I didn't have low blood sugar. Good. So. Yeah, I think like, and I think the other thing, you know, in this whole topic of training peaks, my fitness pal calorie counting is that it just underscores for me, like, you know, all of a sudden that software was gone out of training peaks. And I was like, wait, like, I consider this one of the disciplines of training of having that option to um, track your food when needed, um, especially for newer clients. Like right now, I'm coaching a girl who comes from like a fitness um figure modeling background, so mm-hmm. kind of like bodybuilding, and that's a whole nether world and dietary routine and um, regimen than obviously endurance training, and there's a lot of education that goes into that, you know, versus just thinking that she should eat the same way she did when she was trying to be uber lean and, you know, vanity muscles everywhere, you know? Yeah. Well, she, she came from that, and now she's doing Yeah, now she's sports. doing her first half Ironman. Oh, so. Yeah. Yeah, that can be weird. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I actually, uh, well, Ben is one guy who came, Ben Greenfield is one guy who came from the same background. And then my mentor at the gym where I work, he was the same thing. He was a bodybuilder fireman in his early days turned pretty good triathlete for sure. Um, So it's really interesting to see the body transformations that these guys go through when they make that switch. Yeah. um, It's the other interesting thing too, like just because you have, big old muscles sticking out everywhere. It doesn't mean that those are going to be efficient for swim, bike, and run until you train to do so, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a big difference. I work with a couple of guys that are bodybuilders, and they tease me about not being strong, you know? And I'm like, I can put out, you know, X amount of watts on a bike, which is basically single-leg squats, Yeah. you know, for four hours, you know, and it's a little different than what you do. It's a different kind of strength, yeah. but yeah, those guys would cringe at the idea of what you just said. Yeah, yeah, they're <laughs> right? like four hours, and I'm like, well, maybe five, six, depending on the race. And they're like, whoa, holy crap! So, oh what are you training for right now? Uh, Austin half. Okay. And then after that, uh, two weeks after that, I'm going to do the Iron Baby, where we do the self-supported Ironman, which you're going to be in Hawaii probably. I no, will. It's November. Well, when's Hawaii Ironman? It's the second weekend of October, um, second Saturday, and I'll be there at this rate the full week leading up to it. Oh, okay. Um, so you, if you wanted to, you are totally invited. and We can make room for you at our house to come and do the Iron Baby. What are the dates for it again? November 9th. Okay. Yeah, there's a slight chance I might be going to Cabo for a training camp um, okay. in November. But, I'll, yeah, we'll talk about that later for sure. And then I'm definitely going to go out to Ironman Arizona this year because I'm coaching a handful of athletes for it, oh, okay. which I think it's the following weekend. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so many races, so many dates. So I'm using the half Ironman to do focused training and then wait two weeks and do the Ironman, the Iron Baby, uh, just as from the residual fitness from the half Ironman and just, and just not really focus not really trained for the Ironman because it's not, it's a race, but it's not, I know if if you really focus on a half Ironman, you're so fit that you can turn around and do a full, just kind of, you just kind of slow down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. If your body's ticking right, um, and everything health wise is good, then absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Um, And that half Ironman, you race that you're going to be 
that's a after you recover from that, you're gonna be crazy fit from yeah. race and a half. Well, if I don't end up being able to make it out this year, I promise at one point or another um, I will make out there because I think it would definitely be cool to do that back the Austin and then the full and we also still gotta be on our quest to have someone take us invite us to one of their races around the globe. I know. Where are we at with that? I get emails all the time like, "Hey, if you're ever in wherever, come stay with us." You know, but it's like how often am I in wherever? You know. <laughs> So, speaking of wherever, I was watching uh, Shark Week stuff last night, and these great whites off the northeast coast of New Zealand mm-hmm. are the baddest mofos I've ever seen in my entire life. They yeah. said that these are the most aggressive great whites in the world. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm not a Kiwi then. And it is intense. How a yeah, just insane. These these great. They get in the they get in the boat. You get you get out in a boat, you know, a few hundred yards offshore, and the next thing you know, you got great whites all around you, banging into the boat. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're so beautiful. I love great whites. I think they're so pretty. I do too. I was watching this thing when I was flying home from Canada. These guys were trying to. I don't know if this is going to be on Shark Week. Um. It was these guys who got funding to do some research on putting... They basically put a GoPro. They tagged a shark on its dorsal fin with a GoPro. And I thought you said goat to, for a second. They basically <laughs> took a goat. It's and like I'm like, oh, no. Like, you know that dog, like when you have something on the back of its collar, trying to turn around and get it? Like, like in Jurassic thing. Park where they tied a goat to a post and just left it out there for the T-Rex. Oh, my God. that's That scared the crap all out of me. I was like young when that came out. Right. But I had bad dreams after seeing that. Um, so they wanted to see what a shark looked like when it, you know, dives down and then goes up to breach and like make the attack or whatever. Oh, I love those. Yeah. Yeah. And they find like, you would think like, oh, okay. You know, sharks do that all the time. Right. Uh, Well, they were like almost failed at their mission because it turns out that sharks are not just going around breaching and attacking. They're much more calculated than maybe we give them credit for. So I think they did get the coverage that they needed, but, oh yeah, um, definitely. I'm, I'm kind of like sad right now because we canceled our cable a handful of years ago and so i don't have shark week unless they're streaming it online which i haven't checked yet yeah you got to check out the new zealand one it is intense they uh they want to tag a shark so that they can follow it to find out where the giant giant great whites are probably hanging out because there's legends of like a 30 footer oh my god and a 20 footer is massive and so they're talking about people keep keep saying that there's a 30 footer somewhere in this area. People have seen it. And so they, they get in a, they can't tag the shark swimming by. And I'm telling you, there's like tons of these sharks swimming around them um, from the big, big boat. So they get out in a dinghy and try to, you know, lure the shark nearby the dinghy so that they can tag the fin as it goes by. And that just became terrifying as the sharks just, Within a minute of getting in the dinghy, the sharks start ramming the dinghy. Wow. And grabbing the rope and trying to pull it down. No, thank you. And you're just like, oh my God, these things. And I, it made me, I always think, like, imagine, I was telling somebody at work this today. Imagine if there was a bear with a mouth that big, like three feet across, right? We None of us would survive. We'd all just hide under a rock all day long. And now, because sharks can swim around and, and go up and down in the matter, you know, that they're in. Imagine a bear 
with a mouth three feet across that could fly. <laughs> are you an acid right no, now? No, <laughs> because that's what these sharks are. They're basically flying bears. Like if because they're just oh, oh they can God. go anywhere they can go up down around and they can just keep circling around and circling around you know and just imagine if that existed on land how terrifying that would be it would be incredibly terrifying and yeah. i might even resort to doing drugs in order to not be so terrified <laughs> um but you know what at the end of the day this, i tweeted this yesterday like it's not going to stop me from going in the ocean at least where i live like i i would not go in the ocean in new zealand where you're talking about but yeah. I love ocean swimming with all of my heart. I love it ten times more than being in a pool. And it's especially this time of year when the water's like so nice. You don't even need a wetsuit. Um, and they just had a couple shark sightings like less than five miles from where I swim. Mm -hmm. But, you know, until something happens, I'm not going to let it stop me. But I think about it when I'm out there. I, you know, I'll think... Not in a way that I let it freak me out or get anxiety, but, you know, you think you're looking down, your eyes are open, and you can only see so far before it turns into kind of like a dark abyss. And you're like, what if I saw that image coming up toward me? Yeah, there's one where just recently on a whole bunch of websites, they posted um, video of they uh, put a robotic underwater camera down to swim around. And it's mm -hmm. got cameras. It's got like six cameras on it, you know, facing different directions. <laughs> and there's this one, there's this one uh, shot where the camera from behind, you know, it's looking behind, and the cameras, the the it's just like a, a torpedo shaped thing that's only like three or four feet long, and it's only like um, probably five inches across, you know, so it's a little torpedo thing, and it's just minding its own business, just kind of you know, like that. And the camera's focused behind, and just out of the darkness comes that shape just behind it. And it's got that big, toothy grin. And it's just just coming up behind it. And you're like, that's the thing you never, ever, ever want to see in your life. Because that shark, that great white, had it just zeroed in and was just swimming behind it. Like, what is this thing I'm about to just bite in half? Yeah. Um, no, like I love ocean swimming. I love, I love, I think it's kind of like road biking. It's like the, the, um, the challenge of having to be on, be on task and aware of your, uh, of your surroundings is actually yeah. a little, there's a little bit of adrenaline there and that makes it so much more exciting, especially with the ocean environment. There's so much wildlife. Yeah, so yeah. alive, and you're part of it, and it makes you just feel just amazing to be out there in it. It's it's energizing. It's rejuvenating. Yeah. It's all of the above. I love it so much. Yeah. So I start getting this. It's like yeah, I start getting really excited thinking about being in the ocean. And people are like, people ask me, they go, "Aren't there sharks in that?" And my reaction is like, "Yeah, there are. There's sharks out there. I love it that there's sharks out there." Yeah, and it's also yeah. like, well, aren't there drivers on the road when yeah. we're you know like. I see way too many ghost bikes these days, but I don't see, you know, if there is a report of a shark sighting or anything, I mean, the chances of an attack are then They're so small, so, so small. So, you know, I'll stick to swimming in my ocean. If you ever make it out to California anytime soon, like we have to plan it better where you come visit me because nice. you would just so love uh, the swimming environment out here. Like you talk about the sea life. It's incredible. Huh? It's yeah. Last time I was there, I swam La Jolla Cove. I always swim La Jolla Cove. 
Yeah, so it's kind of like La Jolla, but even more, um, it's not even as open as La Jolla gets at some parts. It's cool. It's really cool. Okay, cool. So, I want to do that. Um, so, okay, so this helmet thing is something that I have no idea about. Okay, so. you watch the video. If you scroll down that page, there's a okay. video. And watch it from the mind of what we could do with bicycle helmets. And I'll start telling, I'll start talking about what it is while you're watching it, so people okay. don't tune out. Okay, so this is a company called Scully. If you Google Scully, S-K-U-L-L-Y, helmet, there's a new motorcycle helmet that's coming out that has a rear view camera, kind of like the rear view camera on a car, mounted on the back of it, and then in the visor of the helmet, you, there's a little miniature screen off to the side, down low and off to the side, where you can see constantly what's happening behind you, and it's wide, widescreen, wide view. So in this, in the video, they're showing guys riding motorcycles together, and without having to take your eyes off the road in front of you, you can see what's going on behind uh -oh. you, right? And then it does other things like there's GPS. Uh, mm -hmm. directions that get projected up onto the screen. So it's a lot oh. like Google, it's like Google yeah. imagine Google Glass, which everybody I think probably knows about. Yeah. Um so with the head up display in front of you, but with a rear mounted camera coming off your bike, right? And in so I was thinking about how could you do this in cycling? Well it it would take some battery power to run this, but you'd mount it in the helmet. And in the helmet you could have a battery um, powering this thing so when you do your ride you could uh when you get done with your ride you just uh every few rides you just plug your helmet in and then it charges it all up and then with bluetooth on this little head-up display in your helmet it could you know like pop-ups like your um you know who's calling and things like that i swear they have cycling or workout glasses that are I don't know what they're called yet, but dude, this is this is the type of thing where I within the next several years you're gonna see it for well, sure. Well, it's crazy. I posted on Slow Twitch. Hey, why don't we have a helmet like this for bicycling yet? I got one response from one guy. He goes, "Why?" And I'm like, "You bunch of retro grouches out there!" Because you can freaking see what's going on behind you. Because yeah. in bicycling and in motorcycling, what's so dangerous is to look behind you, you have to take your eyes off the road. Absolutely. And I have crashed many, many times by taking my eyes off the road to look behind me, and or nearly crashed, and because now I'm not looking on the road right in front of me, I've hit a bump. Oh. Know, or a rut. I mean, that's my fear. I can't, how many times did you crash doing that? Man, what I, I tell you, probably, probably five or ten times. I, that's crazy. See, that's why I'm like so conservative of doing exactly what you're talking about. I've yet yeah. to crash doing that, but I know exactly what you're saying. Um, or this is another one that scares the hell out of me. Um, something, something's coming. You realize something's in your in your lane in front of you, and you got to go around it, right? Oh yeah. yeah the yeah, only yeah. way is to go out in traffic. Well, now to go out in traffic, you got to look behind you so that you don't swing into a car. So and now that thing, the speed of the car. Yeah. It, so now that that broken glass or Coke bottle or whatever's in the road in front of you, now you got to take your eyes off that while you try to look behind you 
And you know when you're on a bicycle and you start looking behind you, you kind of start swerving kind of to the left and to the right a little bit. So now, now it gets real sketchy and you could hit something else. Uh, but anyway, one time I was, uh, <laughs> it's sort of related. I was uh, messing with my bike computer and my hands were real sweaty. I was out on a really long ride and um, I hit, you know, like sometimes they'll do the asphalt and then they'll leave a lump of asphalt by accident. Mm-hmm. And one time I was mess, I was riding with one hand and messing with a bike computer or something like that. And I went from riding along, minding my own business to being airborne, uh. like feet into the air sideways and then bam, out into the middle of the road because of this thing in the road that I just hit. And my and the one hand. And yeah, it was one hand and it was sweaty and I just slipped off. Yeah. Oh man, you had to, I didn't. See, all the things that you're talking about in terms of spills, like, oh, I have those things on my mind, and yet I have thankfully never had, well, granted, I have had my share of you two had a pl- You've had your share. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Don't ask me about wreck it on my bike. You're the queen of wreck it on your bike. <laughs> Only twice. It's just been super tragic each time. It's been the worst kind. It's like the no speed, no momentum, like dead weight, bleh. <laughs> yeah, I will not I, let it happen again. I seem to have one really good wreck about once a year of hitting something or something blowing out. Um, one time I took a turn really hard and my tire rolled off the rim. <gasps> and then another time, actually same intersection uh, slid where the tires went out from underneath me because uh, it was wet. Um and that's where you really get to appreciate helmets of when you hit the ground on your side mm. really hard and the big melon that's on top of your body, that weight gets a whiplash into the, into the ground and then the side of your head hits and you notice how like it dents up the side of your helmet and you're like, wow, this is that's what they're for. This is really what they're for. Yeah. So this helmet, I'm looking at this article, it raised more than $600,000, I guess, on one of those crowdfunding campaign sites in one day. So, I'm, <laughs> you know, that helmet looks awesome and it's totally for motorcycles. Wouldn't that be hilarious to wear that on your bicycle just for all oh. the technology that's in it? Totally. I mean, you have like, it looks like not to, you maybe don't want the chin part of it and everything, uh-huh. but if you think about the aero helmets that now have the incorporated sunglasses, yeah. like it's it would be a pretty easy design to try to copy for sure. Um, Expensive, but easy. And I think helmets have enough room in them where you could do, um, I think helmets should have a red blinky light integrated into the back. Mm -hmm. And then a, uh, that rear view camera integrated into the back and then, uh, and then, and then just Bluetooth. Right. And then if you want to connect it to any kind of glasses or any kind of whatever you want to see, then, then uh, you, um, you just connect it, and that's how it works. Do you think? Um, I'm sure I'm not the first person to ever asked this question, but do you think that um, there could be like a distraction issue of people accidentally looking at what's coming up behind them or whatever's popping up on their Bluetooth? So and so's calling you, and not looking at what's ahead. <laughs> well, sort of. It's but it's integrated in the field of what's looking ahead, so it's definitely safer than looking down at your phone that's or your true. watch to see what your watch or your phone's saying. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, this is what fighter pilots use, you know? Yeah. So you, you put the information translucently in your field of vision that you're already looking. So last night I went for a bike ride and I counted how many times that I had to look behind me because of something coming up in front of me 
and that it was, I wish that I didn't have to do that because now I can't look in front of me mm-hmm. and I'm doing 20 something miles an hour. Right. And it mm-hmm. was in one hour, it was, uh, 13 times. Wow. You know, where I'm like, Oh, okay. What is there a car coming? Cause I need to, my bike lane's ending. Right. So I need to look behind me to make sure that if I go out into the into the road, there's no cars there. Yeah, that happened to us twice over the weekend. There was like cops who had pulled over some people and they took up the whole bike lane on areas of the road that I was not happy about having to like merge into traffic because it was kind of a blind corner from where the cars were coming. Uh-huh. Um, and so like, and it's a kind of it was a highway, so no lights around. So I was like, shoot. I'm really sketchy. I'm, like, trying to look behind me, like, trying to gauge, like, is there cars coming? If there are, how fast are they going? Cop is taking up the whole lane. Because it was, like, the paddy wagon type. It wasn't just, like, a motorcycle cop. It was, like, overflowing onto the highway. So, yeah, that stuff gets super sketchy, though. And, honestly, it's, again, one of the reasons why I – and just this day and age, like, I'm – on the trainer for and granted I'm not really training hard or, like, big volume or anything. But I'm on the trainer so much more these days Last night, like, I have a rule where I live. I will not start a bike ride any later than 2 p.m. Um, around where I live. And if I do need a ride still, it's all about the trainer. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way for long stuff. The yeah. um, Where I live, the way I could ride, if I had some kind of rear view camera on me, is I would ride out into the lane all the time until I see a car coming. Yeah, yeah, and then right. And I see a car coming, then I pull over. And so if I had that, if I had that camera then I would know that there's a car coming behind me. Kind of work your way over to the right so that they can have the whole lane. And uh, and then when they pass, then I can get back out in the road a little bit without having to turn around constantly and potentially wreck. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe somebody will make that. Hopefully. Yeah. And it'd be good for racing, too. I mean, uh, you oh, know. That, I was thinking about that. Tawny, okay, let's say it takes off, right? Rear view camera and the back of most helmets, like high-level helmets, right? And then a head-up display, right? And in the head-up display, because it's Bluetooth, you can also show other things like heart. So this, uh, God, who makes those sunglasses now that have this stuff? That's what I was talking about. Um, I don't know. I think there's a couple companies that are making them, like the Bluetooth. Recon. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. So Recon has a little camera, has a little screen, and uh, they're to be the ones that would do this. They have mm-hmm. a little screen, and they have uh, watts, heart rate, and all that stuff showing in your glasses, right? Yeah, well, I just pulled a website with them. Is this illegal or not? Like, oh in, yeah, in so racing. now we're talking about like rule so, thing. Like, it's like uh, when you're talking about la- the last time I was on with Challenge Series, how they do allow iPods during the run yeah. and blah blah blah. But yeah, no, that. I mean, honestly, I see it as a potential distraction, but it also seems like the benefits, I don't know, because, I don't know, it's tough, because then you, you don't really want people checking their, like, email and crap like that. You know, there's there's got, not only for safety reasons, but I think there's got to be a point where we just draw the line and try to shut it down. Yeah. Um, I think if they were to develop something that purely was for, like, a safety, like, riding in a race situation yeah. aspect, and it didn't have all your personal GPS crap on it, then that's good, but I don't know. That's well, not no, think about, about this. Think of, it's going to get to a point where in the Tour de France, and let's say professional motorcycle racing where the racers can see what's coming up behind them without having to turn around. I mean, mm. you can see an attack coming without having to turn around. 
mm-hmm. you know? And uh, so then you, nobody can surprise you anymore. And so yeah. once they get this technology, like in a helmet, they're, man, those helmet covers will be like, oh, you got to put these on these racers so they can see this. Yeah, racing would be a good one, um, yeah. especially dating a guy who races cars for uh, his pastime hobby and like knowing the tactics of like, you know, really riding in close parameters and then making a pass like, you know, yeah. around things like that, so, drafting in that sense. Like it, it gets tight in there for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't want to like bring up sad news, but you saw what happened. I don't think this is exactly related to what we're talking about, but you saw what happened, I'm sure, um, with Tony Stewart. Yeah, on that race over the weekend, and um, ended up hitting that guy, and the guy died. And yeah. it sounds like before that happened, though, they were having some heated back and forth while both still in their cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that was more testosterone driven or yeah. what, but you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, still very very sad though. Um, not happy to see someone so young lose their life on the track. Don't go running out on the track, people. No, definitely not. Yeah. Oh, by the way, um, they're doing something really cool here where the the Texas World Speedway, which is a really famous race car track, they're shut down all day Friday till from early in the morning until 5 p.m. for people to go ride their bikes <gasps> on it. For oh, charity. that's so cool! And oh, I got man. meetings all day long on Friday, so I can't go. Dude, you're calling in sick. <laughs> uh, no, I can't. But I was there... going to go with my son and go ride. Maybe Emily and, and Kyle go. That would be rad. Yeah. Um, they let one of the John, uh, races that John does um, up in Northern California um, before it starts. They let people ride or um, run. Yeah. around the track so you could run around the track i think it's like several miles or something which is kind of cool um there's a toll road if anyone is from orange county the 241 around here and it's just got some big massive rolling hills and i like my dream is to have them close it down and have like bike day for all of us cyclists because it just is like the kind of rolling hills that are like aggressive but like big and long and just open road and yeah. I don't know. I'm sure you guys all have that out in you know Colorado where you don't have to necessarily close down highways to get access to it. But we don't really have that so much around here in SoCal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a toll road on the around Tyler, Texas, where Emily's from. Where as they were building it, cyclists started biking all over it because it's got a huge shoulder and there's not many cars on it. And uh, then they tried to shut it down and then cyclists revolted and said, "No, mm-hmm. you got to keep this open." And so. Um, and the the commentary in the newspaper is like they just they need to pay taxes to be out there and all the misinformed oh my gosh. all that misinformed stuff that cyclists don't pay taxes and stuff like that. Oh please! And, uh, and just actually, more than anything, you can you can read the underlying tone is just uh, jealousy that people are out there enjoying themselves and they're not, and the so, other huh? people aren't, and it makes them agitated that they're in their car and they want to punish you for not being in the same situation they are. We had the funniest thing happen to us on Sunday. This guy, I mean, we've all had situations like this, but I don't know. It just really made John and I crack up like crazy. And I'm glad it actually kind of happened because it was good for a laugh. This guy in a Jeep was so pissed off at us riding along in the lane as usual. Um, nothing out of the ordinary for where a cyclist should be. And he like throws his fist out of the car and he's like, get on the sidewalk and like just extremely uncalled for. And it was a slow zone. Like, so it was like he, his speed limit was maybe 25 miles an hour in this particular area. So it was like even more so like not even that big of a deal for us to be like in the bike lane, like nothing sketchy about it. But the funniest part is that we're in like a beach community 
where it's they don't want like beach cruisers and stuff on the sidewalk. So it specifically had huge um, painted on like signs on the sidewalk saying no bikes allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not only was this guy an idiot, he was recommending something to us that was incredibly illegal to do, actually. So, oh, man, we got to go back at him. Put put both hands on the steering wheel. Yes. Why are people so angry in their cars? And then thank you for giving me the good laugh, man, in the Jeep, because it was really quite a good laugh. cars make you angry? It was just so uncalled for. (laughs) Anyways. Um, I gotta go get new contacts. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm screwed because I, I got a ne- uh, I got an eye infection one time for wearing my contacts too long. So yeah, you need to do that. Yeah, I've definitely pushed the limit on how long I contacts have sh- should be worn before. Um, I notice I go through them more quickly as an athlete. I think oh, just yeah. kind of wear and tear and this like um, dehydration occasionally and all that. I go through a lot more, but. Yeah, I, I realized uh, a couple days ago, I'm like, holy crap, I'm completely out, and I don't want to live in glasses for the next however long. So they squeezed me in. So cool. I got a jet. Thanks right. for letting me come on again. And um, maybe next time we can get into some of the even more like the controversial crap on Iron Man news stuff that's going on these days. Oh, yeah. Always. Cool. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. All right, super cool. Thank you, Tawny. And we gotta we gotta hook up another news conversation because there is so much going on in triathlon right now. There's the how many women pros are allowed. Kona's coming up. Oh man, it's getting pretty dramatic in the triathlon world, especially the Ironman circuit. And Ironman Sweden just went down. And I do have a couple of little bits of news. Um, the let's see, Timex introduced a new watch. Timex Armin 1 with GPS. It's got live tracking. It's got an AT&T. It's got AT&T service. So it, the wireless right in the watch. And, um, but with uh, GPS and cellular turned on, the watch lasts estimated eight hours. And I like Timex stuff. It's pretty good. And when I was first getting started, I definitely used uh, Timex gear. And then as I got more and more dedicated, I moved over to... Um, Garmin and then Sunto for some real heavy duty stuff, which reminds me, I've already recorded an interview with one of the Sunto North American reps. In fact, I think Bill Porter is the head rep of Sunto North America. He's a big deal. And so we talk all about the Sunto Ambit 3 that's coming out. I've recorded another interview with one of my good friends who, um, I think we talk about it on the show. Um, who's a security expert. He's a, he's a military. He's, but he was both in the Marines and the army and did a tour in Afghanistan and was a big time bouncer and, uh, heavily into personal security. And he's super, super fit and just an all around badass. did like MMA fighting and things. And he, we recorded an interview, um, about personal safety out on the run and out on the bike. Um, you know, like what, what to do if you get attacked. And I tell some of my stories of stupid stuff that's happened to me, uh, some really funny crap. And uh, we had like almost probably an hour conversation about all kinds of cool stuff and uh, what to do. And he pointed out a few things that I hadn't even thought of. And I thought I knew my stuff. And uh, yeah, so I learned a lot, man. It's really cool. And you can tell talking to him that he's really, really experienced. And he, he's got all the right, all the right decisions. 
I would just hire him as a bodyguard and <laughs> just go <laughs> running and riding with him all the time. I would never, ever have anything to worry about. All right, so that is both recorded. And before we get into the training log, let's do some sponsors and some emails. Okay, Compete Hub is our good friend. I want you to check them out. I got a tweet from somebody just the other day saying um, that they use Compete Hub to find races in their area. In fact, I got a bunch of tweets and emails of that kind of thing. And you can check them out, competehub.com. And that's where I found I found out all about the races in my area and used it to help me pick which race I was going to. And they're a startup in the San Francisco area. And they make the race finding and participating experience a lot like Facebook. It is really, really cool. It's kind of like Facebook for triathletes, I think. It's amazing how um, they the... The social media landscape is so mature now. We really know like what works and what doesn't and how to do it right and things that people want to see in, uh, you know, like in races, like who's going, which, which friends of yours are going to this race and what's the hill profile look like, right? All on one page. It's really cool. And um, so I use them, competehub.com. I want you to check them out. And I think that our discount code for sign up for Sufferfest has expired. We had 10% off with uh, all caps ZT Suffers. I think that's over. But man, just go check out Sufferfest anyway and tell them Zen Try sent you, uh, at Zen Triathlon sent you, um, because I love what Sufferfest does. And we're going to talk about the Sunto Ambit already. That's another sponsor. Okay, before we do more sponsor stuff, let's. Let's um, let's read some emails, okay? Because I got some really good ones in here. Okay, this first one is these are the kind of emails. Hey, when you guys send in emails like this, sometimes I turn around and send them to my parents so they know that that their son has actually done something good in life. <laughs> All right, this is one of those. Tristan in the UK wrote and said, "Hi, Brett. I just wanted to write and say thanks for the help that you get that you have given me over the last probably too many years." I heard about you from a podcast way back in 2000, question mark, when Zentri was mentioned on Fidipidations. Now, see, Fidipidations was like the very first well-done um, running podcast, and these podcasts all started around the year 2006, and yeah, that's about right. Um, and I was mentioned uh, because I was, I'm, I don't know, I traded emails with that guy or something, and um, back when iTunes wasn't really a thing yet. Imagine the world before iTunes. Yeah, that's podcasting was doing it first. Okay, so he wrote, uh, at the time I'd just come out of a job and was taking a break while starting up a farm. Hey, cool, man. And had a great time with my two daughters and my wife. You spent a lot of time in a field that year. Oh, thanks, man. I always dreamed of being a farmer. I, I guess I was doing it with you, huh? <laughs> We go to my uh, father-in-law's farm, a real farm slash ranch, and I always talk about working on the fences and mending fences, and he says, he's always like, the fences are okay right now, maybe next time. All right, uh, as with all things, stuff changed, and I eventually went back to real work, and you came too on my commutes and on my long runs as I trained for marathons, etc. Thanks. Unfortunately, in 2010, my eldest daughter died unexpectedly. At age 10, and in the following months, lots of other things fell apart as well. That is really sad. I'm so sorry, Tristan. Um, I coped by running, which is a perfectly normal and probably healthy thing to do. I guess it depends on the person. And uh, mostly running away. Eh, that's normal. Uh, but the endorphins seem to help. There you go. 
That year, both my wife and I ran a marathon, which marks some kind of re-entry back into the sport. Good for you. Yeah, those things are really tough to overcome. Uh, and you just got to work through it. Uh, through this period, my podcasts were invaluable companions. Yeah. Uh, friends pulled me towards triathlon, and after a first season in 2011, also your friends are to blame for this, huh? not you, <laughs> and learning how it all worked, I had a good season in 2013, yeah, it does take a while to figure it out, with a pair of half Ironman distances in September to round the year off. Oh, you did two in one month in 2013. Good for you, man. That's hard to do. Uh, although I have been somewhat tempted to track your own journey through veganism, high fat, low intensity, high intensity, low fat, high carb, etc. You nailed it, dude. <laughs> I've deferred to local coaches who have also helped get me through a season in one piece almost. Hey, on that note, I like Matt's, Matt Fitzgerald right now because he's more of like down the middle and like, look, this works, that works, this works, that works. Okay, we talk about that during the training. My youngest daughter has also competed in triathlon and now at age 10 herself, is pretty much on a parallel track with your own family, so it's interesting to compare their experiences. I think girls are better at triathlon. Girls are better at boy sports first before the boys catch up. Anyway, this was just a note to say thanks. I've come to know the Zentri philosophy as far as you let anyone know it through the podcast and just wanted you to know that I banged the Zentri drum on this side of the pond. If you guys ever get the urge to visit the U.K., Please don't hesitate to get back to me if you need a place to stay within striking distance of one. And, oh, that would be so cool. Hey, I've started keeping a list of people who have invited me to come stay in their town. And then if I drive through a town, we're going to stay at their house. Okay? And uh, you have a bunch of friends over here. Regards, Tristan Allen in Bucks, UK. Hey, thanks, man. And um, good job at keeping it together through the good times and the bad. And also on realizing that it's good times and bad, and we all have good times and bad. I've had my own. And um, the problems come when you get too down over a bad time, and then you let it lag too long, when actually things could brighten up at any second, and you just don't know. So um, that's a really powerful email. Thank you, and thanks for letting, um, thanks for letting lots of people um, hear that. It's good for everybody to hear that. The no, the, that other people have trouble struggling and that this happens to lots of people and that um, it's bigger than sport. Uh, we got a donation from Simon Wright. I think he's a recurring donation. I'll tell you about how to do those in a second. And then uh, John Burns and Joseph Rogalski and John Taylor and Peter, well, Per Tornholt. And you got to listen to one of the most recent um Oh, it's uh, Tawny Prezak talking to Lucho on Ask the Ask the Ultra Runner Coach or Ask the Trainer or Ask the Coach. I forget what they call that episode. And they're doing a review of, I guess, I guess Pear's um, running form. And Lucho goes, how do you say, um, how do you say this? And <laughs> Tawny busts out, Pear Ton Holt, like that. And it was so funny. It was so great. And thanks, thanks, uh, Peter. Is, it means Peter Thornhill, actually, where he's from. And that's what Per Tornholt means, and, or however you say it properly, which is not how I'm doing it, I'm sure. And um, 
Uh, thanks for uh, letting us play around with your name. It's fun for us, and we'll get we'll stop doing it pretty soon. I think we'll get over it. Okay, uh, running question from Rob. Okay, Brett, love the podcast. Please keep up the great work. I sent a payment in over PayPal, but didn't see a box for a question. That's okay. Anyway, I'm training for my first marathon and live in Sonoa, Sonoya, Georgia. Uh, very hot and humid in the summer. I know how you feel. And I was wondering about what you think is the best way to carry water on a long run, about two plus hours. I seem to be drinking about 20 ounces per hour and have been using a handheld bottle and looping to refill it. Now that's your first solution right there. That's not bad. Okay. And I would like to be able to go out without looping and bring 40 to 50 ounces of water along with me. What do you think about the vests that hold bottles? Okay. I've tried that. I didn't like it so much, but that was a Brett thing, and that may not be a you thing, a uh, Rob thing. So um, the way I tried it, and I'm, I still would do it if I had to, and because it does work. It works fine. Um, I borrowed somebody's and then ran with it, and then um, uh, they're relatively new on the market, so I don't know, like... Um, you know, the, the ultimate design that works all the time may still be out there or it may be only one of the companies that's kind of figured it out. So just because one doesn't work, I wouldn't rule them out. Um, they, they do work and lots of people use them. Okay. Uh, but I would borrow one first and see what you do, see how you do with it. And, um, I've also bought a hydration pack, but don't really want to mess up, mess with cleaning the bladder. Oh, I got a tip for you on that. As soon as you're done running or biking with a camelback bladder kind of thing, pull the bladder out and throw it in the freezer, but don't put the lid on it or else the, the lid will freeze shut and it takes you forever to open it back up. Um, uh, open, open it up, pour the water out or leave some water in, especially if you're going to be doing uh, hot stuff, leave some water in and then throw it in the freezer and um, it can't get mold and stuff in it when it's in the freezer. It's really cool. Somebody emailed me years ago and told me to do that, that it's a cool trick. And they're right. It's awesome. Um, and then if you have some water left in it when you do that, then you have a block of ice in there. Like a third of it is ice. And you can go run for or bike for a long, 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 long time with uh, cold water, man. Oh, it's so good. Um, do you think a vest with two 20 ounce bottles stuck up front would be overkill for marathon training? No, I don't think anything's overkill for marathon training. Um, I have a better tip here in a minute though. I feel like those may be for the 50 miler and over guys. That advice would, any advice would be great. Okay. Because of where you live and it's as hot as it is. Um, and I live here too. And it may even be a little bit hotter here. Maybe it, it water and keeping cool and hydration is actually your biggest limiter right now in training. And so if you um, feel that you need that amount of water, that is okay for you to bring a water truck behind you because it really does affect your training here. Okay. Um, you shouldn't care what other people think about that because it's freaking hot. Okay. Now, when I was training for the Rocky Raccoon 100 and I was I got up to running o over 100 miles a week for several weeks in a row and I was just running and running and running and doing long trail runs and stuff. Check this out. Those sling backpacks where it's just a it's a, a fabric pouch and it's got the strings in it, a string backpack. Um, they can actually hold a lot of stuff. And then what you do is you wear the backpack, but then you 
you tie the chest straps together with either Velcro or rope or what did I use? I used some kind of thing to connect the straps together in the front and bam, it was cinched up against my back and in it, um, I would put an extra water bottle and it worked. It worked really, really well. So my runs went, um, to, yeah, to two hours plus because I was carrying all this extra, I was carrying an extra water bottle flat up against my back instead of bouncing all over my front. And I was able, actually it was, that was cold weather and I was able to carry, um, uh, arm warmers and gloves and a beanie hat. And as I got hot or cold, I could, you know, add or remove clothing and just put it in that pack. Um, it is amazing. And actually those straps are really adjustable because they're strings. You can actually shorten the strings or, or, uh, if you need to, if you connect the strings across your chest, I'm trying to remember what I use to connect the strings together. Like a, um, a carabiner or a clip. Maybe I used, Oh, I know what I did. I did, um, I did some kind of alligator clip and that way it wouldn't slide up and down the string because it, you know, it's got like teeth on the, on the clasp, um, on one side. And all you need is for it not to slide up and down the string on one side. And then you loop around the other side of the chest straps and it works fine. And then you, man, you have a kick ass. Um, Oh, what's going on here? Hold on a second. My laptop just died. Okay. We're back. I'm not sure what that was about. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. So um, it makes a kick-ass backpack. All right. So try that. Um, we have, God, we must have a dozen of those at our house and they're really, um, if you find one that has softer strings, it won't cut into your skin. And if you have one that has coarser strings, it'll end up cutting into your skin a little bit and into your neck. So get one that has, um, uh, the softer strings and you are good. All right. Before we get into more emails and questions, oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, I want to mention, um, on, on the Zentri website, on the left side is where you can donate to the show, and donations make a huge difference to the podcast. Um, it pays a ton of triathlon bills around here, and um, I try to run as lean, everything as lean as possible, and still triathlon costs so much money as a hobby that um, this helps so much. Okay, so the way this works is if you feel like this podcast has given you tips and advice and companionship over the years, and you want to help support the show, there's, uh, on the left side of the page is a donation link, and you can either do a recurring donation, um, where it sets it up automatically, and it's just under four bucks a month, it's like three ninety five a month, and then, and that's like a dollar an episode, it's like nothing, and then um, also there is a one-time donation, if you do the one-time donation, the way PayPal works is it pops up a box um, hey, you got any comments? Put in a question or something like that uh, or a comment that you want me to read on the air and I'll read it on the air. And then um, if you're doing a recurring donation, um, I think my email address pops up in there anyway. And uh, send me an email every once in a while if you want. And uh, ask me a question and I'll read it on the air, man. And, uh, well, man. <laughs> so the uh, dudes and dudettes, studs and studettes. And... Um, yeah, so give it give it some consideration. If this podcast has ever helped you out, that's how you help help back, man. And uh, it's good stuff. Okay, let's go back to just Jesse, which is maybe some version of Jesse from Finland. Jesse Hervonen and Brad. Let's see, Brad. Jesse, um, send me an email with uh, how to how to pronounce your name. Okay, 
Uh, Brad, Brett, this may be a question you could answer on your podcast if you like. I'm in the market for a new multi-sport watch. I've been comparing the Garmin Phoenix 2 with the Sunto Ambit 3. Well, the, the Ambit 3 because it's a bigger number. In your opinion, should I upgrade all my sensors, specifically speed cadence sensors on the bike and foot pod for running, to Bluetooth and go with the Sunto? Okay, wait. First off, before I go any further, you don't need a foot pod for running on the on the Sunto Ambit 2 or the Sunto Ambit 3. Um because there's an accelerometer in the watch that senses your arm swing, which goes along with your foot swing, um, and you don't need a, a, a foot pod anymore. I use it all the time, and um, uh, I know that I'm just jogging along happy at 82 cadence. I know it's a little slow, but that, I'm tall. So um, so that rules out that. Um, or should I stick with the Ant Plus and the Garmin? Is there a benefit with going to Bluetooth for sensors? Um, I've read the reviews on DC Rainmaker's blog and it's helpful, but there's nothing really to address or address Bluetooth versus Ant Plus. Um, I respect your opinions. Thanks for your time. Keep up the great podcast. Okay. This one's tough to answer because there's two things. Ant is fine. And we have an interview with uh, Bill Porter, like I said, from Sunto. There's nothing wrong with Ant, Ant Plus. Um, Ant is fine. It's the problem is, is Bluetooth is what the whole industry is moving towards, and you can either decide one of two pains. Um, you can decide to go ahead and get Bluetooth stuff now, and um, have the pain of not everything working with it, with your watch, um, and having the fine little tricks and things um, to make it work. Or you can wait and then have a whole bunch of ant stuff and Bluetooth stuff that doesn't work with your ant watch eventually and then finally have to and be putting off getting cool gear um, because it's you don't have a Bluetooth device to read the Bluetooth stuff. So it's really, I've, I work in the IT industry and I've learned, um, what I, my personal thing is I put it off for a while and Bluetooth has been that way. I've been like, nah, I'll wait, I'll wait and really see if it's really going to happen. And I'm now at the point where this stuff's really going to happen. And so all my gear from here on out right now, I'm buying Bluetooth and, um, they make a heart rate strap, uh, V I I I I something like that. And it's a, it's called a bridge. It's an ant plus Bluetooth bridge and your heart rate strap, um, has a little chip in it that retransmits ant, ant stuff as Bluetooth. And so you could get a Bluetooth watch and your power meter that's coming in is ant, um, your foot pod, you don't need one, but your, uh, anything that's coming in as ant can be rebroadcast as Bluetooth. So, um, there's that Bill Porter and I talk about that. And let's see, what else do we got? Um, so when the new Sunto is officially released, I'm going to get one, and it's going to be Bluetooth. And Misery loves company, man. So join join in with me, and let's make this stuff work <laughs> together. Uh, Joe has... What happened, Joe? Hey, Brett. Well, I was listening to the last podcast. Great show, and I love it. Totally keeps me motivated. But I believe there was a discount code for Sufferfest. Yeah, I think it went away. Can you let me know what it is? The one I recall didn't work. Now, back to the most important thing I need to do today. Keep the shows coming. I think he means working out. Keep the shows coming. I can't tell you how much I enjoy them, especially when you're in the pain cave. Yeah, thanks, dude. Um, 
It says Tro McGill, but that may be Troy McGill. Coach Brett, I just want to say thanks for dropping all your knowledge to the Tri community. Your show helped me to a PR last year, 436? Is that for a half Ironman? Dude, that's, if that's a half Ironman, you're crazy fast. If that's for a... Um, if that's for a marathon, that's still not bad. That's pretty good. Um, keep doing your thing. From the I Am Moo course, literally, that's our, uh, our man, Wisconsin, which I've done. Uh, Troy McGill. Hey, cool. So he wrote that while he was out on the course. <laughs> During, were you racing um, and riding at the same time? That's pretty badass. Okay, Scott Bauer. Hi, Brett. Love the show, and thanks for all your efforts. Keep us going. I use Hornet Juice and use it for every big race. It really works. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Tell people where to get that. I have two questions for you on swimming. I live in North Carolina, warm 2,000 feet elevation. I have signed up for Leadman Try and Bend this year, which will be 6,000 feet elevation and really cold water, mid-60s to 40s. I've been digging around and found a suggestion to train with a snorkel to simulate the restricted air from cold and altitude. Do you have any other suggestions for training a race day for this race, altitude and temperature? I will use a wetsuit, booties, and looking into a swim cap. Um, I'm reading ahead here for a second. Um, because the swim cap, wear several swim caps. You have to wear the race swim cap on top, but if you wear a neoprene swim cap, um, the latex swim cap that they give you will actually stick to the top. So at Alcatraz, where it was 50 degree water, we wore three swim caps. And um, yeah, long sleeve wetsuit. Um, I don't know about training with a snorkel to simulate the restricted air from cold and altitude. Mm, I don't think that would make a big enough difference to be worth the hassle. Um, you could rent an altitude tent. Apparently these things were like where you, you restrict your breathing. Um, they don't really simulate, uh, a high altitude. Um, I've been to bend and I barely noticed the elevation and I came from sea level. So I think you'll be okay. And I went mountain biking like freaking crazy. I think if you get in really good shape, the altitude won't bother you that bad. Um, do you have... Any other suggestions for training or race? Okay, uh, general question on the marriage frequency. Okay, I have a general question on the marriage frequency of training Ironman swim distance during training before the race. I have done an Ironman previously and plan to race another one next year. I'm wondering if I'm better to work on speed for a lesser distance or work on build endurance up to two for a, as a higher priority. Okay, this is what you do. You do both. Um, on days where you feel really peppy, you do um, speed work, do fart licks in the water. You can fart in the water too. <laughs> it's kind of fun, but uh, you you do intervals, self-induced intervals for however long you want, um, fifteen to thirty minutes of going hard, but kind of mix it up. And then on your days where you feel peppy, and then for the next couple of swims, um, uh, it kind of depends on how you space out your swimming. But for the next few days, if you swim, just swim easy and swim long, um, and not hard. Just getting in distance. And then when you start feeling peppy again and you want to challenge yourself, then you do a shorter workout, but make it, um, those intervals. Okay. And that's actually polarized training and it works, works really well. Uh, we have a donation from Il Soizner. Oh, I can't, uh, I know how to say this word. I can't believe I can't say it right now. Soizner. 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 El 
Uh, it's the journeyman is what it means. Uh, I-L-S-O-I-G-N-E-U-R. Um, oh, that's like, it's either Spanish, it kind of depends on where he's writing from, or French for, um, oh, isn't that, uh, um, and it's in the peloton and, and cycling. That's the uh, one of the other riders, not the leaders, and they're um, they're dedicated to helping out. Okay, so Tony, um, he ordered some uh, Hornet juice. I still need to mention how to do that. And he said things are good in Rhode Island, especially this time of year. Great ocean swims. Um, if you order Hornet juice, I, I send you an email saying how's it going? What's 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 going on in your neck of the woods? So he wrote back and said thanks for asking. <laughs> Great show, and I get a lot of help and tips from your show and info. Uh, if you get a chance, what I, I would like to hear your thoughts on running cadence and using it versus pace. I've recently been using cadence, and I find it very helpful. Um, I'm sure there's a direct relationship between both. You are correct, there is. But I feel cadence is a real measure of effort. Yeah, okay, so now that uh, my watch has cadence built into the watch, I find myself looking at it all the time. I trust it a lot. And... Um, I remember getting some really good coaching advice from Mike Ritchie that go do a 5K race, right? Now look at your cadence during that race. You'll find that it was really, really high, right? Because you were racing. And now go out for an easy jog. You'll find your cadence is really, really low. Um, if you don't do higher cadence, which is speed, then um, in training, then you'll have difficulty doing it as well as you want during a race. So... I haven't really thought about this, Tony. The way you're mentioning it is doing more, instead of pace, um, looking at cadence. Like, hey, you know, like I am like I said earlier, I like running at like 82 RPM. But I'm like, I, c- I could say, let's do five minutes at a 85 or above RPM, like as, as, a, um, as an interval, right? Yeah, I totally would do that. Um, but what, what I do instead of pace or... Um, cadence is I just do feel, right? I push it and I'm like, okay, you're, you're going harder. You're going right. I go like race pace or harder than race pace. Cause there's different races, you know, length of races. So, but basically, um, like 10 K race pace is my interval speed. And I don't, I, I don't really look at, um, cadence or pace as far as I do effort as far as like how hard to go. But I do like that. That's pretty neat. Um, I think it's fine, man, if it works for you because uh, different things get other get different people motivated to go fast. Um, yeah, totally use it. That's pretty insightful, man. Uh, I wonder if a lot of people do that. Uh, Ken Soderquist is a longtime donor. Uh, Jason Lyon, I'm a huge fan of the show. I started listening a couple of months ago when I got into triathlon, and I've loved every episode. I got into triathlon after getting a minor injury after running a half marathon. That's really typical. Um, I started swimming and biking while I was recovering and started having a lot of fun doing those. Yeah, they were a lot of fun. I just completed my first sprint triathlon. And even though the swim almost killed me, I had a blast. doing it. <laughs> hey, I think almost nothing is fun unless it almost kills you. Okay. Uh, I guess I also thought it would be great to do Ironman 70.3 Austin for charity. Cool. That's right. I remember reading this email. Hey, uh, so I'm going to be there too. So Jason, we got we to hook up, man, and see each other. Um, so I signed up to raise money for the Zero Prostate Group. So Zero All Caps Prostate Group. 
So I'm dedicating quite a bit of my training time to swimming, and I'll do a couple more open water swims to prepare. I think what's, I think that's what got me during the sprint. Oh, not being as good a swimmer as you want to be, uh, was just not prepared for the open water swimming. Yeah, uh, listening to your podcast has given me lots of inspiration and tips to improve all around. Um, thanks for all that you do and the sport. Cheers, Jason Line. P.S. Here's a link to my page for the Austin fundraising. So I'm going to read this out loud. Everybody pay attention. Um, zero prostate cancer endurance.org. All one word. Let's do that again. Zero prostate cancer endurance.org slash Austin slash lion. And lion is L Y O N. Again, it's zero prostate cancer endurance.org slash Austin slash lion. And lion is L Y O N. Yeah, um, I used to get really bad results in triathlons um, because I was uh, the same thing, but opposite. I was good at the swim and terrible at the run. Oh, it's so humiliating being passed on the run by hundreds of people because you're a good swimmer and you get out ahead and then you suck, suck on the run. And then um, everybody's just passing you going, hey, you can do it. And I'm like, I know I can do it. I can do it just fine. It's just, I suck at the run. And uh, then, uh, so what I started doing was really focusing on the run. And I got really better at running. And now my triathlon results are really even all the way across. Um, and that's uh, really cool stuff, man. So um, that's how you do it. Uh, you got you to gotta get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And of being passed. And then decide to uh, do the... Do the uh, work on the thing that you're not good at. And then um, next thing you know, you're well-rounded. You can look at triathlon results. It's so cool. You're like, okay, I'm top half in this. I'm top half in that. And then I'm bottom half in this. Okay, that's not good. That's the thing I should work on. It's obvious. It's painted on the wall right in front of your face. All right, Sean Lindsay. Um, Oh, huge donation from Sean Lindsay. Um, Thanks for the podcast. It helped me train since last December for my first Ironman, Boulder, which I finished last night. Yeah, dude. And also another donation from Vince Hancock. Okay. So, wow, that was a lot of stuff. (laughs) All right. So how can you, we're going to get the training log here in a second. How can you help out the show? All you do is go to zentriathlon.com. Go to the right side of the page, and there is a link to get Hornet Juice, which is this protein powder. And I looked up the calorie count. It's only 60 calories per packet, and a packet lasts an hour and a half at least. And what it does is it signals your body to start metabolizing fat. And it works, man. I had just like this kick-ass bike ride. Uh, my three-hour rides, I was doing Hornet Juice, and I just never got tired. And... um it's two things. I found out there's something else that they, they figured out about uh, protein in your fuel is that it um, it turns off the body's perception of fatigue a little bit. So you, you don't even feel like you're getting tired. Um, so you're able to push through stuff a little bit longer. So it turns on the body's fat burning and it uh, reduces fatigue. And uh, Hornet juice is uh, synthetic Check this out. I swear to God, it's synthetic um, uh, Japanese killer killer hornet or killer wasp um, 
saliva, and that's why it's called hornet juice. So um, their saliva, the, the Japanese killer hornet, is the heaviest flying insect that travels the longest distance. And when scientists learned this, they were like, how in the world does it do this? And they, started, they figured out that it's the uh, proteins in its saliva that it digests while flying, and um, it allows it to just go and go and go and go because it's burning on uh, body fat instead of uh, short-action fuel. And so when uh, Hornet Juice contacted me, I was like, holy crap, I've been wanting to try this stuff forever. So I started trying it. It was amazing. And I said, we got to share this with everybody so that everybody can have much better workouts and better races. And they set me up with a... Um, a way to get it to you guys. Um, every packet I sell, uh, a tiny little bit of it goes back to support Zentri. So you can go to, uh, if, if you've used it, you know it works. And then if you want to try it out, just the novelty of it is awesome. And people love it, man. It's great. And like that email said, it really does work. So you go to the right side of Zentrathlon.com and uh, there's like a four pack or I think a 10 pack and a a 20 or a 30 pack there's like a 50 pack you know and the price goes down per packet the more the more you order but then um i get an email that you ordered it i complete the order and then i send you a personal email saying what's up how is it uh where you where you're living and tell me what's up and um and how's it going and your hornet juice is on its way so it's kind of cool all right so let's see do we have any other sponsors before we do the uh oh yeah um uh, before we do the training log, I mentioned Amrita bars during the training log, but Amrita bars are um, date bars that are super, super healthy, and they're great for no nuts in them. It's got seeds in them instead of nuts, and they're actually kind of soothing on the stomach, and they're brought to us by Arshad, who's been on the show and is a good friend of the show, and they're made in New York, and they are super high quality and made by, founded by a parent that... Um, had a kid with food allergies and they're searching for a way to make their kids healthier and they invented these bars themselves and he's a cyclist and so he made sure they were easy to digest and good for you and they also happen to make the coolest cycling kit that I own um, it's black with like the coolest uh, color scheme across it it's beautiful and people love it Amrita bars you can get 15% off if you order Amrita bars and delivered right to your front door with the discount code ZEN, all capital letters ZEN, if you go to amritahealthfoods.com. And Amrita is spelled A-M-R-I-T-A. And people have a problem saying Amrita. It's Amrita. A-M-R-I-T-A. Healthfoods.com. Amrita. And, oh man, I think I ate, I've eaten like two of them today. Three of them today. And all I did was swim in a short jog. And I just can't help myself. They make... They make this recovery bar. It's like chocolate date and like maca powder. It's, oh my God, it's so good. I think I'm going to have one right now. And I think that's it. Okay, so that's it for our sponsors. Let's go ahead and get into the training log. Oh my God. This is a good one, guys. Lots of crazy stuff. Um, listen closely. There's some real interesting tidbits dropped in there. And again, I'm up in the volume because we've got Austin 70.3 coming up. And uh, Iron Baby coming up, which is a full Ironman, two weeks after I do a half Ironman. And uh, just tons and tons of training tips in there on how to train big and how to train long and how to eat, how to organize your life, how to find time, 
how to help out your kids and uh, your spouse, get things done and balance it with your job. It just goes on and on and on. So it's good stuff. All right, see you on the other side. Let's go. Here is the training log. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Kuneli. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a triathlete. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But, Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes. Let's go exercise. Exercise. I'm going to do sit-ups till I poop myself. All right. Welcome to a new training log. It's August 3rd. I just came in from a just over a half mile run <laughs> and quit because my legs were really wobbly and my uh, breathing was accelerated for what I was doing. I was having to breathe. And actually, that's been going on uh, most of the day today after my bike ride. And I'll explain why in a second. Um, trying to catch my breath a little bit more than I should be. And that's a really good sign that um, you've done too much or just enough, uh, depending on what you're about to do next. So I decided what I was going to do next is quit <laughs> and uh, not uh, – I can get back on training uh, tomorrow or even the next day faster and better um, by knowing that these signs are signs that um, – I've, I've, uh, I'm at my limit, and it's time to uh, stop. So what happened was um, it's good stuff. It's actually knowing when to uh, take a break that makes you faster and stronger, and I've learned that over the years. And uh, uh, yesterday I swam in the morning at a neighborhood pool that has no laying ropes in it, and I did hard intervals in it. And um, I was looking at the Sunto Ambit 3 again, um, to see what, exactly what's in it, because I'd kind of forgotten the new stuff that's coming out. And one of the things it does is um, the heart rate strap stores your heart rate. And then when you stand at the end of the pool with your heart rate and your wrist above water, it transmits it to the watch, which is really super cool. And um, and so I was thinking about that's going to be really cool with the, with the new Ambit that it does that. And then um, uh, I came home and it was overcast and a little bit cooler. It had a little bit of a cool front come through. So it was only a million degrees instead of infinity degrees here in Texas. And the uh, so I decided to go for a run with Kai and Kona, and I decided to take Kona the entire way since it was a little bit cooler and it was still in the morning. And we went like seven and a half miles or something like that, and Kai rode his bike with me, which was nice, and Kai had just gotten back from Lego Robotics Camp, so we talked, he talked the entire way, and so I, I uh, and he pretended he was my uh, bike escort and I was winning in Ironman, you know, so first male coming through, first place, first male pro coming through, <laughs> And he's fully integrated with the uh, car up and car back kind of talk, which is really, really cool. And then, um, so let's say I swam like two miles and then I ran like seven something. So the swim was hard. The run was easy. And then uh, last night while Emily and Kai, hey, baby, where'd y'all go last night when I did my bike intervals? What were y'all doing? 
Oh, Emily went over to our nephew's house, who's in high school, who wanted to get a streak in his hair, and Emily was going to do that for him, and Kai went with. And uh, while they were gone, I knocked out uh, intervals on the bike trainer, and actually it took a total of 40 minutes, maybe 45, and I did four really hard intervals till failure last night, and um, I really liked it, man. It was really, really nice. And then I went to bed and just felt great. And then this morning, I woke up for my long bike ride. And my legs were a little bit sore on the bike ride, but I still felt pretty good. And I fueled better than normal. I used Hornet juice. And uh, I, I need to remember to get uh, some UCAN because I, I believe in UCAN as a, um, as a fuel. I just don't believe it's enough fuel and it's expensive. So I mix it because it's slow mix it with some fast and have some nice workouts and then uh i had this epic bike ride today i think i might have pr'd a workout <laughs> and uh, it was really high cadence and really high watts and all aerobic uh, barely going anaerobic on the on the hills um and I averaged 244 watts for 60 miles. Averaged that for 60 miles, uh, which is really, really nice. And that has got to be kind of a record for me. But towards the end, I ran out of fuel. And I was running on fumes, and I think that cooked me a little bit. And I, I've had to take a nap today, and I uh, was craving salt. Um, and craving bad foods, and then the other thing is I noticed that um, my lungs feel a little bit torched, as in like every once in a while I'd have to uh, pause and take a deep breath to kind of catch my breath even though I wasn't doing anything. And that's a sign you really blew through all your reserves. And um, I looked at my training log, and I've I've done 15, 14-something hours, almost 15 hours for the week. And uh, that's nice, especially because, uh, well, I wanted to go run tonight. And then I was kind of like, nah, maybe I shouldn't. And then it's like, well, am I being lazy or should I not? And um, so I decided to leash up the dog and start the run and maybe run just 20 minutes. And then I'd decide whether to keep going. And I got one minute into it and... My legs were weak, and um, I was having to catch my breath a little bit, and I was like, those two together is a bad sign. So what you do in this situation, uh, let's say you've trained too much, you've raced or something, or yeah, you just had a big weekend of training. Um, the thing to remember is if, there, if you need to work on um, stamina, like you need to work on your mindset, uh, to convince yourself you can go really far, then sometimes you need to keep going, right? You just go easy, and then you you show yourself that you can run after biking really, really hard, right? So that way you can convince yourself that during a race it can be done. Um, there's Once you've done a bunch of long stuff and you know you can finish it, then you don't really need the stamina uh, mental training so much. Um, uh, I... Uh, at the Rocky Raccoon, <laughs> I ran 
uh, hard enough, long enough. I ran for 50 miles and 55 miles and then until I was peeing blood. And uh, so I don't need <laughs> mental training to convince myself to go farther. In fact, um, people that do a lot of endurance stuff actually train themselves to ignore pain too much and then can get injured. Um, so there's, a, there's like a, a – I always talk about sweet spot training, but it applies to more than just training. There's a sweet spot in lots of things. And um, if you need to train yourself to go a little bit further, then sometimes you go even though it hurts and you don't feel like it. If you got a problem where you're able to go a little bit longer than you probably should – then uh, you need to uh, uh, quit training while you're ahead. Um, uh, Jamie Patrick, the guy I swam across Lake Tahoe with, he swam across it and back and then had to spend like a week in the hospital. <laughs> so he swam 55 miles or something and then had to, yeah, had to, had rhabdo so bad, rhabdomyolysis, whatever it's called, so bad that, yeah, he had to spend a lot of time getting rehabbed. And um, so let's say that, um, you actually don't have something big coming up that you need to train mentally for to keep going, then um, the reason, you, a way to convince yourself to quit uh, while you're ahead is some very simple logic that um, keeping going will actually beat you up so much that you'll need extended recovery and you'll get overtrained. And you shouldn't do that. That actually, if you stop training uh, now, like say on my run, uh, my legs are wobbly. I'm having to catch my breath, even though I just started. Um, then if I stop now and get a good night's sleep, I'll actually be able to go swim in the morning and maybe even run tomorrow afternoon instead of with good workouts that'll improve me instead of a shitty run, uh, tonight that will actually make me worse right? And almost injure me and encourage bad form and all kinds of stuff, right? So I was like, okay, here's the hard decision. Let's cut it short. So I did the loop around my house, which is half a mile and some change. It was six minutes and uh, came back in the house and Emily just looked at me like, what are you doing back? And I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> it's a it's a bit of, uh, of a hit to the ego, but then uh, you need to learn to get over it if you want to be better. So that's where where we are, and then Ironman Boulder went down today, and I was following Gary and Dustin. Both of them looked like they were having to walk on the run, which both sucks, but also is a reminder that um, Ironmans are really, really hard. And I, I have trouble on Ironmans, where I've only run the entire run in an Ironman once, and um, I typically overfuel and then uh, get stomach pains, and then I... A lot of times I do them when they're hot, like I'm in Texas, and I'm a bigger guy in height, and so it's it's harder for me to stay cool. So I I struggle on them, and uh, so I know I know their pain, and um, it's a reminder that Ironman's racing is if you're not doing it for a living, then racing is a uh, just a validation of your fitness and how far you've come, and. Um, you should uh, not get – it's okay to be sad if, if it doesn't go as well as you want, but not to get too upset because um, uh, really it's the fitness and health that got you to the point where you could even think about doing one of those, and that's uh, pretty amazing, you know. And um, 
like I was saying earlier, you can go overboard and really hurt yourself racing. Almost all injuries happen in races and not uh, training. They've uh, said with marathons, the uh, best the best plan is to train to race a marathon and then just never race it <laughs> because the race itself will mess you up from uh, straining yourself. And in fact, Christine Lynch, our good friend Christine Lynch, was just doing a race uh, this weekend and tore her plantar fasciitis uh, tendon, which is um, the underside of your foot. She tore it uh, trying to win a race just this weekend. So, yeah, that sucks. Anyway, so that's where we're at. Lots of cool stuff coming up, and I'll be back. Out, bang. All right. Leaving the pool Monday morning, like I predicted. Not running last night <laughs> would give me more energy to do stuff today and feel better about doing stuff today. And it did. Woke up and went to the pool. Uh, just mostly for a short swim because I did wake up a little bit late. But going to the pool, it's always better to get to the pool and get in and do something than to do nothing. Because swimming is more about practice and immersion and being in it than anything else. And I kept thinking about that video that Brett Sutton posted, somebody posted of Brett Sutton talking about the three R's, rhythm, he's on the deck screaming at people, rhythm, uh, relax, and then reach, and arrange, I guess was the other one that some people said, but anyway, this big thread on slow twitch uh, was created about it, and people were like, wow, holy crap, that really explains it a lot. Brett Sutton is an awesome coach. So anyway, uh, this is my first swim, kind of th- putting that into effect and thinking about it, and it that has a huge, huge impact. So people go check out that video. It's on my blog, and zentriathlon.com, and basically it works like this. Um, you set up a rhythm first as as fast, and you got to remember, turnover is key. The faster you turn over, the faster you're going to go. So you do as fast a turnover as you can stand, and then what feels like dancing, just boom, 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 like that, just turnover. And then what you what happens is is it's tiring at first, and then after a little while, take breaks and stuff like that, and then just keep it up. After a little while, you figure out a way, your body and your mind figures out a way to do it and conserve energy. And there's your relax right there. So I'm swimming along and at first it's kind of tiring because I'm pulling too hard because I'm used to pulling. And then uh, after about 10 minutes or more, (laughs) about 10 minutes, all of a sudden it clicked and it's like, hey, if you want to keep up this cadence... You're going to have to uh, start conserving energy kind of here and there in places where you were wasting it and start relaxing. And so I, I started relaxing while keeping up the rhythm, right? And this reminds me, um, one time, oh, this is such a good such a good example. One time Emily wanted to take samba or ramba or jamba or whatever classes, dancing classes, and uh, we went and they partnered us up with other people, you know, random people, and some of them are good, and some suck, like me, and um, so I'm uh, dancing with this girl, and she was annoyed with me, because I couldn't keep up, but she's hardly trying, and I'm pouring in sweat, right, and she's hardly trying at all, and I'm sitting there, because the moves, I was trying too hard, and then after a while, I relaxed, 
and then uh, then I let the rhythm move me. <laughs> and but it just shows you uh, how much harder I was trying than she was. I was pouring in sweat, and she was just like hardly trying at all. But she was doing all the moves, and I better than me. So anyway, while you're swimming, you just kind of go with this rhythm and uh, you keep up the rhythm and after a while your body figures out how to do it while keeping relaxed and then you start conserving calories and um, then now you've got a good turnover and you're relaxed now after that you start and this is what happened to me after I had all that kind of down and I'm at a sustainable effort which I can tell like I'm like man I do this uh practice after practice after practice, um, I'm going to get faster and better at this. Like, this is really cool. And then, um, then, yeah, after I settled in, after about 20-something minutes of this, and I, I found a groove, I was like, okay, now work on range, like, different techniques and, like, how far to extend and stuff like that without, um, you're so used to the rhythm that you don't you don't want to sacrifice your rhythm naturally you're like oh okay you, you got to fit this in with your rhythm because this rhythm is good so how do I uh, extend a little bit more or catch a little bit over here or balance out my head from bobbing and stuff like that without messing up the rhythm because the rhythm comes first rhythm first then relax into that rhythm and then work on technique after you've got the first two under control. Anyway, really nice swim. And um, I have a feeling that you can do rhythm and relax um, in life and then work on technique. Everything. Everything. All day long. You know? Making your breakfast. <laughs> Getting your stuff done. Turning in your TPS reports. You know? Just get into a rhythm of uh, doing stuff. But then don't let the rhythm wear you out. Start relaxing into that rhythm. And then, uh, then work on technique on putting a polish on it, right? Technique is just polish. All right, you want to deliver the meat? All right, that's it, out, bang. Hey, hey, I'm back. So, nice little swim in the... uh... Oh, wait, let me check and make sure this is the right recording. Hold on. Okay, I'm back. Yeah, this is it. Sorry, you get a lot of recordings on a device. Got to make sure that you're uh, on the right one. So... Uh, nice little, it's Wednesday morning. I've been going too hard lately and it's amazing how easy it is to mess that up. Even me who thinks he knows what he's doing, uh, I mess it up all the time because it just takes, it's a, it's a fine line of the right amount of hard and then too much too hard. And then, um, but then what you do to fix it, it actually isn't all that bad because as soon as you go out on a workout and you realize you're um, you're tired and things aren't going to go that well. You either quit and uh, or just go easy, and you'll recover actually in just a day or two. So, and then that stuff that you went too hard, you just kind of imagine like it was a race and it made you better. So it's actually not that bad. So I've been uh, going just a little bit too hard and felt kind of tired yesterday and not really into it. And so last night's run, I went out and ran really easy. And, um, and then this morning now I feel a whole lot better. Woke up, energetic, got to the pool early and, uh, knocked out an hour 
and it's a pool with it's in the darkness so I uh for the first golly 30 minutes doing open turns because I'm not really sure where the wall is so I'm swimming kind of kind of feeling with my hands where the wall is I didn't crash into the wall uh this time so that's nice and then um swimming mostly easy and to uh try not to overdo the hard um waited until the last five minutes so I swam 55 minutes easy (laughs) and then the last five minutes hard and that felt nice and the the cool thing is oh yeah the whole reason I wanted to get on and talk about something was this article about on Traflete magazine, Traflete.com or something like that. Uh, there's an article with um, two really good swimmers about the four things, the four parts of the stroke. And the last one is where you bring your hand down to finish out the stroke, down by your waist and push down, like with your tricep, like you're pushing down. Um and away towards your feet that a lot of swimmers forget that and there's actually a ton of um, speed right there that you're giving up if you don't do that and I was like oh yeah I used to do that and actually I saw an article a long time ago that said the main difference between triathlete swimmers swimmers who suck and swimmer swimmers swimmers who are awesome who swam like in college and the Olympics and, you know just swim swimmers that swim on swim team are um, is that the real swimmers, the full-time swimmers, finish out their stroke all the way past their hips, down by their thigh. It was really cool. I'll never forget seeing that. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, that's what I worked on this entire swim, was finishing out past my waist, down where your thumb brushes your thigh as it comes out. So like a little flick with your wrist, a downward flick with your wrist for that extra little push. And they said, actually, forget about everything else, that that's actually the most important thing. <laughs> and don't cross over. Um, so go check it out. Triathlete Magazine, four things uh, to make your swim stroke faster. It's pretty cool. All right, I'm back at the house. I do like swimming in the morning at this one neighborhood pool. And then uh, instead of going straight to work, like swimming at my regular pool, swimming at this pool, actually my house is on the way back, and I get to see Kai and Emily um, before they head off and do stuff. So I like it. I like it a lot. And I get to get dressed in my own um, house without all the cockroaches in the uh, in the uh, the aquatic center's semi-open air pool. All right, that's it. Out, bang. Hey, dudes! Oh my gosh, what a great training log pod, pod, uh, podcast uh, update I've got for you guys. So I'm out. Uh, riding last night and trying to kind of keep it a little bit easy because I'm doing polarized training and I've noticed that my watts on my bike which is just pure power and watts are nice if you can ever get your hands on a power meter and train with one of those it's so much better than uh, just miles per hour or you know whatever Um, and heart rate because it's actually it's telling you what you're actually doing (laughs) the work that you're putting out. And so I'm cruising along at a uh, at my usual heart rate, just like 130, you know, having a, maybe not even, and uh, let's say around 130, and I'm at like 260 watts. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, holy crap, man. That is really, really nice. 
So uh, 260 watts would be, uh, previously, before I started doing polarized training, would be going pretty hard, you know? And so now um, it would be like a brief burst climbing up a hill and not sustainable. So um, now I wouldn't say 260 watts is my easy, but 240 is now my easy. And it used to be 200 was my easy. And I'm looking at those numbers going, for my body weight, that that is really good performance. You know, that's pointy end of the, of the graph, of the curve of uh, athlete performance for uh, triathlon. So I'm really, really excited. So the polarized stuff really works. Took a couple months for me to kind of figure it out and start doing it and start really seeing benefits from it. But I'm all in. So this is kind of how you do it. Um, You go medium hard for brief bursts, like five, ten minutes, and you treat it like a weightlifting session. And I've learned that if you go too hard, if you go until failure... Actually, it takes too long to um, to recover from that. Uh, it takes like three, four days. Uh, so you go just kind of medium hard. And then uh, you go hard enough so that... And it's just brief. It's like lifting weights. And what's super cool is you're on the device that you're going to end up racing on. So it's the best place to do it. You know, you do it on the bike. You do it on the run. You do it on the swim. So it makes you stronger doing the doing the thing that you're going to end up doing the problem my point is is if you just do it in the weight room well then your body's got to translate that strength to the bike so just do it on the bike and then you'll end up being faster for it so anyway um uh or do it on the run do it running uphill so now you're working the muscles all the muscles that it takes and the coordination at the same cadence that it takes so anyway um and then the next day, you'll feel uh, a little, uh, li- the tiniest bit sore, just a little bit, but you can still go train. And then you go easy, and you go easy, and it takes about two days, about 48 hours. And then you're pretty much recovered. So that's your, that's your uh, angle, is you want to do it so that you're recovered in about two days. And then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again. And so actually the hardest part is not going too hard on the, on the hard stuff and also not going too hard on the easy stuff and being patient and waiting two days. Because what happens is you fall into this thing like, wow, I'm awesome now. And so I'm going to go pretty kind of medium hard on when, on a day when you should be going really, really easy and recovering and Every once in a while, I still fall into that trap. So it's like you got to correct yourself. But you know, when you start getting the, when you start reading the numbers and the feedback, the results from it working, I think that's uh, reinforcing right there. You know, it's encouraging for you to start behaving differently, behaving correctly, and doing it right. So, so anyway, I went for an quote unquote easy run this morning, and was doing an eight sixteen pace. I think is what I ended up doing. And it was a math run. And I'm just like, wow, that's incredible, man. And um, that seven, that 7.36 or whatever I did uh, a couple days ago was too fast, man. And that's, that's that, um, 
that's that medium I was telling you about where it's just kind of like, eh, you shouldn't have been going that hard. That's, uh, that's not that smart. So, um, and I've been, uh, losing just a little bit of weight, which is nice. And the key is one of the keys is I make my green smoothie every day. It's now in my habit to uh, make it as I'm cooling down. And then also I'm snacking on enough simple sugar carbs so that when I get home at night, I don't feel the need to wolf down a whole bunch of it at once and then overdo it. And so my trick right now is uh, I've got a gallon container of ice cream that I like. So mine has like some chocolate and fudge kind of mixed in with vanilla. It's like swirl kind of stuff. And then when I finish a workout, it's really hot outside right now. When I finish a workout, I get that gallon out and I put it on the counter. Or is it a half gallon? I guess. I don't know. Anyway, I put it on the counter and then I, uh, with a spoon, I just take, I eat spoonfuls of it um, until I'm kind of like, until I start feeling guilty and I'm also kind of cooling down some because it's so cold, it's frozen, you know, and uh, it's really good simple carbs and sugar and stuff. If you're vegan or whatever, you could do coconut ice cream, I guess. And, uh, but anyway, cause that's good stuff too. And it's nice, man. It cools me down. It, it helps me uh, recover faster. And then it loads me up with, uh, with, uh, carbs. And also during my workouts, I fuel kind of medium. And, uh, then, uh, by the time I finish, I'm all, you know, I'm all feeling good, and then I'm not, I'm not carb binging, feeling like I'm deprived, you know, at night. Whenever I, uh, whenever I get home, I don't feel the need to wolf down just, like, a bag of freaking chips, you know. I'll eat some, but then I'm kind of like, nah, well, I got better things to do, you know. And then, um, yeah, the mood's good all day, so anyway, that's it. I got to go to W to the ERK, out. Hey, I wanted to give a quick mention to, um... The MacBook Air that was paid for by y'all's sponsorship dollars, which is so nice, and about how freaking awesome it is because of a certain type of technology, and uh, those of you that know this can skip forward, but I thought I'd explain it a little bit. So I'm editing a podcast last night, and you know, they're kind of big files, and you're moving things around, and you stop, copy, paste, push, push audio around, and you know, it's kind of like a butcher butcher block but it's audio files instead of uh, meat and onions right so and then you want to fit things together so it streams together and overlays into nice pretty audio that's what you get when you hear music and then somebody talking and the music fades out you know things like that so um, the weird thing is audio is actually a little bit harder than video at times because um, people are more sensitive to audio quality and video is very forgiving in a weird way. Um, so when you, when some somebody audio files or when you listen, when you listen to something with headphones on, um, you become very intolerant to crappy editing. <laughs> anyway, so uh, and I, I guess with video, like the experience is so it's encompassing that it's okay for it to be um, a little. Uh, off people don't mind as bad but anyway the um working on it and uh some other stuff too i've noticed over the past uh, week or two since i got it 
is uh, it's it's so fast, like moving things around and stuff that used to have a lag of a few seconds before it would go, and this thing is just hauls ass through it, and um, a lot of it is the technology that's in the system that you don't see. But it's also the same reason the thing has a battery life of 13 hours. So what's going on is it's got uh, solid-state drives. And these are starting to get a little bit more common. They're a little bit more expensive. Um, But basically, the old-style computer hard drive, the classic, is... uh, It's hard for you to tell, but it's um, spinning discs. And then a needle, like a record player that either writes to the disc or reads from the disc. And it'll be a stack of discs inside the hard drive box, right? And then um, the type of hard drive, a lot of times on a hard drive, it'll say 3,600 RPM. It'll say a 3,600, 5,200, is it 7,200, 7,600? I forgot. But anyway, that's how many rotations per minute. The faster that speed, the uh, faster the computer hard drive is. And... um, What you're talking about there, it's like a drill, you know, or like a turntable, is it requires juice, and it requires momentum, and it requires time for it to spin and then stop, spin, stop, spin, stop, you know, search, find, spin, stop, right? And all that requires, uh, like I said, time, so it makes things uh, slower, and then... Um, it requires juice, electricity, to physically spin stuff around, right? Um, so MacBook Air and a few other Ultrabooks like that have what they call solid-state drives and our drive. And it's basically um, the ones and zeros in there, the matter, M-A-T-T-E-R, in there that makes up the ones or zeros. Um, It's all solid, and there is no spinning anything. And by electronic signal, it says, turn this to a one, turn this to a zero, right? On, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. And then those ones and zeros are strung together into information. And uh, like the the character for for the letter A, the ones and zeros is, you know, like 32, I don't know what it is, but it's like 32 ones and zeros in a specific pattern, and that's the letter A, right? So all these, all this matter in there, for the lack of a better term, transistors are ones and zeros, and by electronic signal, it goes, it scans and writes and flips things from ones and zeros, you know, and it doesn't have to physically spin anything and then put a needle on it to read it anymore and that's really really cool because it's a huge power savings and so this macbook air it's got like 13 hours of battery life on a uh, on a charge i think playing video 13 hours i mean it's nuts and then um and then it's like crazy crazy fast so the reason I'm talking about it on the podcast is because it helps edit a podcast faster. I was just blown away by how quickly I could dump files in, audio files, 
and chop them up and splice them and move things around without waiting for it to think about it. Play things back. <laughs> you know, I got to test things out before I publish it. And I'm like, double click on it, boom, starts playing. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then um, another thing is uh, laptops up until recently, they almost all, they probably all have a fluorescent like fluorescent, fluorescent light bulbs in your kitchen or, you know, wherever you have a fluorescent light bulbs at work in an office building, they use the, uh, the, uh, fluorescent style light bulbs. I've never seen one inside of a laptop screen, so I'm not really clear on what they actually are shaped like, but they use those as the, the light source to light up your laptop screen. And, um, they've switched now on the nicer, higher-end laptops to LED. And you think fluorescents are efficient. You know, yeah, they're more efficient than uh, than a regular Edison light bulb. But the uh, an LED light bulb, LED lights are way more efficient than even fluorescents. And that adds to the battery life. So I was, I was working on the laptop last night, um, editing uh, the last podcast and putting it together and published, getting it published and uploaded. And... Um, I just wanted to say thanks for the uh, help with the show and for the coaching money and the donations money. Um, I was sitting there working on it and I was like, man, this is such nice machinery, such nice goods. Um, and yeah, it's the laptop that gets the shows published. So um, a lot of times people forget to say thanks for the little things. And uh, thanks, man. Thanks all you guys and gals. I mean, man as in everybody. Thanks, dudes, dudettes. It's been really, really nice. So I thought I'd give an explanation of why um, the MacBook Air and, you know, whatever, any companies that uh, makes such a thing that does solid-state drives and has a really long battery life, that's what's, uh, that's what's going on in the background. So now you know. And knowing's half the battle. Yo, Joe. All right, I'll be. Oh, forgot to mention classic. Uh Another thing is because there's no needle reading the hard drives. There are a lot more, uh, these types of hard drives and these laptops, for example, or you can get these in desktops too, are a lot more tolerant to being dropped. Um, you drop a classic laptop or a desktop PC while it's reading something, and not even while it's reading something, while it's just uh, sitting there you know, on, and there's a really good chance that the needle that's supposed to be reading the hard drive platter, I think is what they call it, can bang into the hard drive platter and scrape it. And that trashes what was on that section of the disc and messes it up, man. And you may never recover from that. And so people always freak out when you're dropping a laptop. Or I remember Emily will be walking across the house with a laptop and then set it down, you know, and set it down kind of hard on the table. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa whoa, don't do that. It's like, why? And I go through, you know, by the time I get a sentence in explaining why, you know, her eyes are rolling back in her head and drool's coming out of her mouth. She's like, geez, it's so stupid. I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, you'll care when your computer doesn't work. But anyway, so this uh, new computer, because of solid state drives, there's no needle to scrape up stuff. It's really cool because you don't have to, you treat it nicely, but you don't have to be like a freak about it and be like, yelling at people to not you know bump into your laptop or something like that so all right that's it out there all right i am back and uh, let's see 
I, I I'm driving from uh, Dallas back to College Station after spending the weekend. It's Sunday morning. Well, it's almost noon. No, it's eleven o'clock. Uh, spending the weekend with my military school friends, two friends that I went to military school with, uh, Marine Military Academy down in Harlingen, Texas. I haven't seen uh, one of them that lives in Dallas. I actually haven't seen them since I got married. So that's like 15-something years. And then um, the other one I hadn't seen since uh, our junior year in high school. Military school, people kind of come and go. And uh, it's more like how many years you've been there. First-year cadet, second-year cadet. You, you can kind of start kind of here and there together. We started together uh, as sophomores in this uh, in this military school. Ooh, a dust devil <laughs> across the prairie. I'm actually having a lot of fun driving back across the prairie and farmland and uh, a little bit of woods kind of here and there because um, I, I keep thinking about cycling all the time. I think a lot of y'all probably are the same way. Um, everywhere you drive, you're analyzing uh, how good would it be to bike right here, right now, no matter where you are. <laughs> anyway, so I... Um, what do we do? What, what was really interesting is, oh God, there's so much interesting stuff. Uh, Workout-wise, training for big races coming up. I got Austin 70.3 coming up in the end of October. So I really, if considering that's coming up and then the Iron Baby, you know, I should have spent the weekend like doing big training and stuff like that. But um, it's really important to take breaks and to not... Um, you know, let training overall consume you. And when I saw that, when I felt that, oh, I'm going to miss out on training, um, then I used it on purpose as something I need to work on. Uh, the way the, the way to think of things a lot of times is if something's difficult for you, that's probably the thing you need to do the most. In fact, I've talked about this recently on shows. Uh, the obstacle is the path. If if uh, it's difficult, but you know it's the right thing to do, then you ought to really attack it. <clears throat> attack it. So, um, really the right thing to do is opportunity to hang out with two friends from my best, 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 best friends from high school that I haven't seen in a long time. Then um, that's, the, that's obviously the right thing to do. Um, it's difficult because you're all in a mindset that you got to train and you're going to miss out on training. And I'm like, oh, this is an opportunity for personal growth. So I went to the extent of um, bringing my bike with me in case, um, because the we're in, we're in uh, the Arlington area, uh, which is kind of the the gap between Dallas and Fort Worth and south of that near Joe Pool Lake where there's actually lots of triathlons what maybe my first ever triathlon um we did right here and uh uh so I did bring my bike where if let's say we stayed up drinking too late and or but there was a there was a there's a license plate in front of me says insane um that they were going to be asleep and uh, sleeping in until noon, and I happened to be up at like seven in the morning. That I would go for a bike ride while they're kind of cleaning, cleaning up, and you know, getting their act together. And um, that never happened. We we stayed up uh, late 
drinking and, you know, being idiots. Uh, for, uh, gosh, till really, really late, uh, Friday night and then not quite as late Saturday night. And then we all ended up getting up around the same time on, um, on, uh, on both mornings. So, um, I thought that was kind of the, the, a reasonable thing was to bring my bike. And if I had the time to ride it, ride it. And if it wasn't appropriate, don't right. It's the middle path. And so, I. Uh, I felt like it was never really appropriate to uh, ride my bike or whatever. We went to a lake and we talked about me swimming across this, across Joe Pool Lake. And I don't know, I got hungry and uh, we went and ate burgers instead. So that was kind of fun. And we just, we just hung out talking and stuff like that. One of my friends, uh, he's been military off and on, um, tour, five tours in Afghanistan, um, and so he still smokes. It's military culture is to smoke cigarettes. And uh, it was funny being around him. And when we were all in military school together, we all used to smoke cigarettes. And because uh, that's just kind of what happened at that school. And the uh, it was funny. Um, my one of my friends had quit a few years ago, and the other friend. <laughs> and so I said, "Hey, let me let me uh, let me try to puff off that cigarette and see what it's like." And uh, he said, uh, yeah, I guess so. And then my other friend that only quit a few years ago said, oh, no, no, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. That'd be bad. And I said, man, I am not worried about me, poke, you know, picking up a cig- picking up cigarette smoking ever, ever again as a uh, habit. I wanted to just taste it or do it, whatever, just to see how bad it really was and uh, what you get hooked on. And holy crap crap it was horrible like that stuff is so nasty so so nasty it's like eating an ashtray it's so gross and uh so what was cool was that was it i was like yep not interested in that so and we went to uh, joe pool lake on a boat and cruised around on a boat and uh, I saw a really cool feature in Strava. I'd heard about this, and I thought I would share it in case you don't know about it already. Um, if you Strava, if you Google uh, Strava heat map, uh, you end up with a link that you can go to, and it's in Strava Labs. I'm not sure why it's so because I tried to find it right from Strava's uh, first page, and. Um, I couldn't find it, so I Googled it, and then it took me to a link. Hey, there's a nice, there's a nice pond. I'll go swim in that. And the, um, <laughs> uh, it'll show on a map where everybody's biking or running or whatever. And so when you go visit somebody with your bike, what you do is you look up the heat map, and then it gives you an idea of where you can bike, where everybody's biking because there's safety in numbers with biking because there's two things that that'll tell you that it's probably if a lot of people are biking up and down a road and, and it does off-road too like mountain bike trails and stuff that it's that that's a safe place to bike if lots of people are doing it it's probably safe and then also if lots of people are doing it the traffic in that area is aware that cyclists like to bike there and they're used to seeing cyclists on the road and so they're going to give you extra space because you're part of the you're part of the local wildlife in that area. So that, that's pretty cool. So Strava heat map. If you Google that, you'll uh, find that. 
and um, I never ended up using it. And, but I was I was eyeballing it. I was up one morning, kind of just looking at it, going, "Oh, if I did go cycling, I got my act together. You know, this is where I would go." Um, let's see. I definitely recommend looking up some old high school friends uh, and hanging out with them. Um, what What is really interesting about the whole psychology of getting together with old friends and stuff? If your friends are close enough friends, and you're and you're also, if you were really really close, and you were and now you've aged enough, or let's say you're forty and you're getting back together, it's it's really weird because um, you you love your friends for who they are and what they're doing. And, um, you don't, you don't like, as opposed to like a new person, right? You don't judge them at all because they're your old friend and you really know who they are. And like, say they're doing something in their life. And, uh, one of my friends is, um, not really into doing anything right now, like, uh, athletic wise. And I'm like, that's cool. Like, I don't really care. (laughs) He's one of my best friends. I just love him for who he is. And then one of my other friends was doing uh, MMA fighting and um, uh, weightlifting, and like, uh, and he's all into like guns and home security stuff. He's even got a little business on the side where he does consulting uh, for personal safety stuff, he's, and he's amazing at it. So good. Uh, he's six foot five and like uh, two hundred, and he probably weighs two ten, two twenty. I mean, the guy's huge, and. It's just crazy, and uh, so what's what's funny is like um, you don't try to talk them. Uh, what? No, wait. Let me back up. When when it's your really 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 good friends from a long time back, um, you you respect what they're doing and don't and you're, it's interesting and you don't really think too much about what they're doing is wrong or or it's it's right you know, because that's, that's good. Whatever they're doing is good. And then, um, the other thing, uh, is by the time you're 40, you don't, you've seen so much of the world and in life where you don't judge anybody, uh, for what they've done. Uh, and, um, you don't try to convince them to do anything different, right? Cause there's this whole problem in triathlon or symptom. I wouldn't say it's a problem. There's this thing in triathlon where you, people, we constantly try to get other people to do triathlons, you know, and then you're annoying because you're like, come on, man, you got to do it, you got to do it. It'd be so great, you'd love it, you know. Um, it, I thought it was just really funny hanging out with two old friends that they didn't try to get me to do anything, and I didn't try to get them to do anything. We just sit there and listen to each other talk about things that we've done, and we don't really even try to give advice to to each other, you know. Just go, huh, that's interesting. It's very zen. Very, very zen. Just kind of laid back, listen to each other. Um, like a like a really good therapist um, doesn't really tell people what to do. They just listen and then let the other people come to their own come come to their own conclusions, you know, as as they talk it out. It's pretty cool. And that's what it was, like hanging with my two friends. And then um, uh 
and then complimenting each other on the things that we remembered about ourselves and like uh, you know the different ways that we handle things and our strengths and then kind of making fun of our weaknesses a little bit but not too bad that was kind of neat um, because we really respect each other a lot and like each other and now that we're older we know not to tease each other on our weaknesses um, but at the same time what was what's really interesting is the military school part of it is military school was so hard so difficult that we needed any if you 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 needed your friends really really bad uh to to have your back all the time in military school and uh you you try to build each other up so that they're strong and you try to give them confidence so that they're strong in what they're do, doing because you need them to have confidence in themselves because at any minute you might need them to save your ass <laughs> so you want your friends to think that they're awesome because you're gonna at any minute they might have to step in and do something really brave and really risky to uh to help you out um there was there was a really really funny thing where um we put we parked the boat on a beach and then went we were going to walk over to the marina, and then we realized there's this huge creek channel where the lake kind of goes up into the creek, so it's more like a cove, um, blocking us from getting to the to the marina. And in the marina, we were going to get lunch, and we're hungry and everything. And so, without even thinking about it, this is really crazy. Without even thinking about it, we put, took our wallets and put them under our hats and swam across a. a couple hundred feet of water that was deeper than our you know we had to swim it was really weird and then just walked up onto the boat ramp that was over there across some rocks and then walked into the marina and ordered lunch and I was sitting there thinking nobody else would do that except for people that are nuts and uh, not have like very little fear because most people would be like well I'm not crossing that that's crazy we're gonna have to walk and walk and walk for half an hour to get around this or you know what are we going to do and we were like ah let's just swim across it no big deal I'm not afraid of that you know who knows what's in there and believe me nobody in their right mind would have swam across what we swam across it was totally inappropriate for us to swim across it but we just judged it like like oh yeah you can swim across this probably probably won't get in trouble probably won't get hurt let's just swim let's just swim across it and um that was pretty cool so I'll have more later um, I did leave a little bit early so that I could get back to uh, town, to my house, and do some coaching and kind of unwind a little bit. And then in the evening, when it cools down, maybe go for a maybe go for a workout. It'd be kind of cool. Um, maybe a bike run. It's kind of what I'm thinking because I got my swim in right. All right, that's it. Out, Bing. All right, I'm back. Oh, ugh, boy, that was a rough swim. Uh. Got back into town after a three-hour drive, and I got a strategy for you on how to get your workouts in. Um, first, uh, so I hadn't done anything all weekend, and um, I was like, man, I need to uh, get in a bike ride or a run or something, And but I also needed to unpack. So here's a strategy for you. Sometimes we think like... Um, you know, it's one thing or the other, 
and then that just sounds like too much and and you just don't want to do it so it's like unpack then get ready for a bike ride just seems like it's going to take forever but uh, one thing to do is get your bike ride stuff together while you unpack (laughs) and it uh, takes either the same amount of time or maybe just a minute or two longer but the thing is is it makes it interesting enough that when you're uh, you'll be engaged and actually get it done, which is way different than doing neither <laughs> unpacking or or getting your workout in a bike ride in. So I'm going around the house and out of out of one bag, I'm uh, uh, pulling out clothes and you know computer I had with me and so kind of putting stuff away. And at the same time, while I'm walking by my bike, I'm loading up a water bottle and checking the tires for air pumping up the tires because they need air and by the way Emily got me a shirt that says pump tires not gas and has a bicycle on the front it's pretty cool and then uh, by right about the time I got done unpacking I had my bike all ready to go right and there's something to be said I had my you know my helmet out and my oh I, I put on my cycling gear you know and there really is something to be said for getting ready uh, for something uh, gets you all ready to go, right? If you want to go for a run, but you don't really want, you need to go for a run, but you don't want to go for a run, go put on your running shoes. And that gets you in the mindset. It gets you thinking about running. And, hold on, traffic situation. So, I'd unpacked. And I made unpacking better because I really, in my mind, I really wasn't unpacking totally. I was kind of half unpacking and half kind of fiddling with my bike, which is always kind of fun. And then, so by the time I'd finished unpacking, which again, wasn't like unpacking, I was in my cycling kit, (laughs) you know, with a water bottle and a fuel bottle and my, my, uh, helmet, uh, there and my blinky light and bike gloves and like bike computer all charged up so so then I just kind of sat around for a few minutes and I'm like well I guess I'll go on my bike ride after I had a snack so I went for a little bit longer of a ride and I started testing out the distance on one of the loops I might use for the Iron Baby self-supported Iron Man that we put on and uh, it was 27 yeah, it was 27 miles, but another half mile because I missed about a half mile. So 27 and a half, so three loops of that. Be three times two. And a half. Getting close. It's 112. Uh, there's another loop that y'all don't know about that I'm trying to work on. And um, had a really, really nice ride. And Emily said, "I thought you were going to ride inside because it's so hot." It's in the afternoon. It's in the evening. Later, much later in the evening. And I said, "Well." Uh, Um, I need to go kind of a longer, longer ways. And I know that if I go outside, I'll get the distance in. And if I go inside on the trainer, it's just nowhere near as interesting. And, uh, then what I did is on the way back, I mixed in, uh, five, uh, three intervals of five minutes each so that it burned. It was nice, 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 nice. So that was last night. And then this morning, um, I tried to get up and go to the pool 
and I woke up late <laughs> and I started fighting with the coffee machine, the Keurig coffee machine, doesn't want to make a full cup of coffee and sometimes it doesn't want to do anything at all so I'm fighting with it and because I'm late, I'm not eating enough and then I'm tired so I drank too much coffee and now I've got a little bit of caffeine poisoning and not enough food in my stomach and I'm trying to swim and trying to cram, I think I swam like 30 five 40 minutes or something 45 minutes and uh i'd have to look um, but the important thing is to get in the water and go because if you don't it's better to have it with swimming it's better to have a crappy swim workout um for half the time that you really wanted to go than to not go at all because swimming is a technique and form based uh sport uh, the resistance in the water is so great that uh, to go fast, it's more about technique than anything else. And you get that technique by practicing. And, and it's little, fine, little differences that make a lot of drag. I was thinking about that when I was riding my bike. There's a point on the bike where it it's uh, starting around like 20-something miles per hour, 21, 22, where... Um, it's not how much more power you can put out. It's how aerodynamic you can get, you know? So now it's getting into a technique, um, past a certain point swimming. That threshold's a lot lower, a lot slower, but cycling, you get to a point where no matter how much power you put out, you're not going to go faster. You know, it's kind of like a car at 150 miles an hour doesn't matter what kind of engine you're going to put in the car, you're going to have to really work on your aerodynamics to go faster because the air, you're fighting all that air per second. And then uh, on the bike, it's the same thing. <clears throat> so I was thinking about that. You want to go from 22 to 23 miles per hour average. Your easiest way to get there is to work on your bike position to get your head lower comfortably, and then you'll, you'll get faster. Um, it's a lot easier to work on that than to put out more power. But anyway, I'm back from the crazy weekend. And uh, I think that's it. All right, out. Oh, I got my green smoothie all made up. And <clears throat> took some nice pictures last night when I was out on the bike. All right, out, bang. Hey, guys. I'm out running. I'm listening to a really good audiobook called Simply Notice, book one. I like it. I recommend it. I'll have more on that later. But I turned it off. Whenever I, whenever I have a uh, moment of insight, I turn off whatever I'm listening to and think about it for a while until I fully understand the moment of insight and I'm able to repeat it back to myself. It's kind of like studying for a test. You don't know it. So you can repeat it back and not regurgitate, beat, beat it, repeat it back. Hey, bunny. Like, comprehend it, repeat it back. So I'm running and I'm thinking about happiness comes from choosing uh, 
yourself. Well, it comes from having control, actually. To have control, you have to choose something over other things. Because if you don't make the choice, somebody else will make the choice for you. If I don't put on the calendar that I'm going for a bike ride tonight, Emily will put something else on the calendar for me, and then I'll be mad, right? So you have to actively, to be happy and not mad, you have to actively take control of your life. And so many of us, 99% of us, just follow the rules, and the rules are meant for the general public. The general public gets you kind of nowhere. That's set up to be just enough, just above the threshold of rioting, of unhappiness. So it's like the fins on a surfboard. They don't work. The fins aren't happy. Unless you're actually going fast enough for the fins. To have water passing over them. If there's not enough speed, there's no control. How do you get speed? You gotta do. You gotta have momentum. You gotta pick things and head towards them. Now you got speed, then you got control. And there's your flow right there. You're happiest when you're making choices. And I was listening to the Rich Roll podcast last night. He was interviewing that woman from New York. And that almost makes you go insane here in her interview. You're like, how can somebody be that intense and that happy? She almost sounds like a lunatic. Luna means moon, lunar. Influenced by the moon, people thought that the moon would drive you crazy. Werewolf in the moon. Ozzy Osbourne, bark at the moon. Crazy. Crazy train. Oh my God, I got stuck. So anyway. What she is, is she is high on choosing and the results that come from that. She's high on the results of choosing herself and being in control. And the results are how the world unfolds for you. And the interesting thing is... It's not even that they unfolded good or bad. 
that's a matter of perception. It's that there were her choices, right? Some of the things she's doing, some of you may be like, that's horrible. Not horrible as in war crimes horrible, but like something you would never do. But from her position, the fact that they were her choices makes them incredible. It's that quantum theory, theory of relativity. Things are influenced by the position of the observer. The fact that the observer, her, is steering the boat instead of letting life happen to her leads to chemical changes, chemical reactions in the brain of dopamine and serotonin there's like pure happiness it's the illusion that you're totally in control and that the future is good because you can change the future and to prove my point happiness is all relative Prison is actually any place you don't want to be, right? So Rikers Island and Huntsville, Texas aren't the only prisons. And for some people, they're not a prison at all. When you feel out of control of what's going on then you get miserable and feel like you're in a prison so when you're a kid at your parents house and they won't you're grounded that's prison right unless you want to be grounded then it's not prison you did it on purpose so that you could be grounded so that you could get out of going to a party where you didn't want to go because you'd be embarrassed or something like that look at all the deer there's a mommy deer, two, three, four babies. So there's plenty of people in prison who actually did stuff to get into prison because prison was better than an outside world. Right? hear about this as soon as they get let out they go and commit a crime to get put back in because in they get four square meals three square meals a day and some exercise and shelter from the weather to them that's heaven compared to having to struggle against the outside world with no skills I just figure it's better inside and then Oh, there's more deer. There's people who inside prison manage to become a boss and run things. 
we had guys like that at my military school. We were talking about that when I was hanging out with my friends. Quite a few guys that had power. And could make money and exert control. So the illusion was if they left prison or school, they would be out of control. So prison is good. So it's all relative. And you can also think of, you may have met or heard of many, many, many elderly people who've lived a good life. And they're actually looking forward to death. My own grandfather would say that, I think. I'm trying to remember. But you hear lots of stories. Oh, I'm ready to die, you know, because their body's worn out. It's not working right. It's a pain in the ass. They've done everything they've wanted to do. <clears throat> and they're out of control. They're living in a nursing home. And it sucks. There's nothing to do. So it feels like prison their body feels like prison because it won't they're not in control of it anymore you know so the one thing that you and I fear most death it's all relative they're actually looking forward to it Suicide bombers convince themselves that death is better because now they have control. Then the crappy conditions that they're living in, where they think another group has all the control, is making their lives miserable. So they get to A, get out of it. B, prove a point, and C, maybe change the situation all in one button press. So the point is, after all that sadness, Instead of letting the day happen to you, you start making the choices in the day. Instead of your coworkers coming to you and telling you what they want to do for lunch and you just tagging along and being a follower, and eating wherever they want to eat, and it makes you fatter and unhealthier. You choose. You choose somewhere healthy, or you choose to go work out at lunch. Or 
right? And your body will start responding. And then that habit starts getting ground in. You start getting happier. It's your life that you're steering. Because believe me, the world of average does not want you to choose better choices. It's a weird thing. But the world of average and just choosing what everybody else is doing is a much, much, much lower platform than what you're capable of. You don't even have to. Like people worry. They make really difficult choices, you know, and try to be superstars that they're going to get picked on. You don't set your sights on being a superstar. I actually think. kind of halfway between above average and above average well excellent it's actually pretty good because then you're performing well you're getting great results but you're not singling yourself out as a target and then getting uh, attacked all the time like celebrities you know They're like, and politicians the more you put yourself out there, there's actually a boiling point of now you have to start dealing with hate and jealousy and stuff. And I think that's what keeps people from trying too hard is because they worry about all the judging. So you just set your sights on a little bit below that. And over time, that gets higher and higher. You don't worry about it too much. It's kind of like on the stove top. It's hard to cook on high. It's too hot. It's hard to cook on medium. That's your average, right there. That's not hot enough. But man, you can cook like crazy on medium high. You can cook lots of things, lots of stuff without burning. Alright, that's it. I'm going to get back to my run. How's it? Alright, I'm leaving the real pool 
You hear these grackles all around me. Stupid grackles. <laughs> God, they're so annoying. Anyway, it's so great. Speaking of so, to be back in a pool with lane lines. I'm going to talk about that in a second. I'm still listening to this audiobook. Simply notice, and I'm finding myself forcing myself to listen to it. Allow myself to introduce myself. Putting the swimsuit up into the Xterra top box. My last buddies that I showed this to were like, holy crap, that's cool. I'm like, I know. <laughs> it's really freaking cool. And uh, the, um, oh, there's my swim cap. You want to go with silicone swim cap every time. They last a lot longer and they're easier to put on and they don't rip out your hair. Get silicone, not latex. Anyway, and you get something cool on it. It makes you want to hit the pool. Like a skull with lasers shooting out of its eyes. I hope I brought my shoes. Anyway, the Simply Notice book is freaking killing me. I'm going to do an audiobook where I just repeat the same paragraph, like a three-sentence paragraph, for eight hours and just rearrange the words like this. Now is not now. Is now not? Not is now. Now could be never. Nothing is now. Now is everything. Like that. <laughs> it's freaking killing me. But, actually, it's good stuff to have drilled into your head. That the moment is the only thing that's actually happening right now. Okay. So when you're swimming, I loved... I'm going to put a link to it on my blog. Zentrathlon.com. I'm going to put a link to it. Yeah. Um, it is so, so important to that swimming is actually more than just the pull from engaging in the front. You want to be streamlined in the front, but actually most of the power comes from the push on the way back. So if you're not pulling all the way past your hip and you're a moron, just kidding, then uh, you need to work on that. And uh, what was my point? I can wait for this truck to go by. So anyways, uh, so anyways, I'm working on that, and it reminded me to mention that the other really important thing to do is to remember that the way to swim really slowly and burn a lot of calories but go nowhere and be frustrated with your life and get audited by the IRS, just kidding, then is to swim like you're running through the water, Right? So people that aren't good at swimming typically swim with their head too high up, their legs too far down, right? So they're plowing. And what's going on is when you pull your way through your water, through your water, through the water, where are your hands? They're out in front of you and down, right? Well, if you look at the simple physics of that, that means that that is going to push your body up, right? So you have to get over your hands and angle your body, your torso, and then lift your legs up so that you're swimming downhill into the water. Un not level with the water, but you're trying to swim downhill with your torso and your head to counteract the uphill push that your hands are doing. So it's a balance in between the two, right? 
So lay lay your forearm in front of you, horizontal, with the uh, horizon. Horizontal. <laughs> lay it, you know, flat, like it was on a table. Now look at that. Now, if your thumb push down with your thumb, if that's your hands pushing down and back on the table, well, where does your body go? It goes up, right? Well, that's bad. So, because that up is going to create a plowing force with your torso and chest into the water and uh, as it's trying to move forward. So then what you do is you, um, on purpose, find a balancing point where you counteract that push up with, uh, it's like doing a push up, with letting your body fall over the front and on purpose uh, swim downhill just a tad and the meeting spot between the two is level and that's your fastest point to go forward level <sighs> and now that I've thoroughly confused you um, remember that the fastest swimmers also um, breathe out as soon as they take a breath in they start breathing it back out again catch up, get my lane. They start breathing out again um, to get rid of air that's in their chest so that their torso sinks because that assists in the downward action of the torso instead of the uh, chest cavity being full of air and bobbing around on the top, right? Okay, so I think that's it. Um, also, swimming, for me, I used to listen to music while I'm swimming, swim P3 and everything, and... Um, Instead, what I do now is I use the drive to work and the swim, the drive to work, the drive to the pool um, and the swim to just think about things and what, I'm, what I need to do today. And then on my phone, I use Workflowy, which is an app that you can, um, oh, and it's desktop too, and it's beautiful. It's so wonderful. Workflowy, uh, with a Y. And... Um, organized thoughts and then I have a I make an entry for every day with bullets and stuff like that and if I don't get it done today then I move it which is easy to do I can move the stuff to the next day and if I did get it done that day I cross it off it has a cross off easy cross off uh, thing Um, and then it stays there and then the search tool is fantastic and the focus tool is fantastic and um, I can type in, you know, the thing that I'm looking for in the search bar, and it finds it, and then I know what day I actually did it. Boom! How about that? Used it last, used it yesterday all day. I use it to keep track of work projects. I use it to keep track of all kinds of stuff, man. So it's kind of like a, um, it's kind of like a task list, a project manager, and a, a diary, a journal, all in one. It's really, 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 really cool. I used to organize show notes, too. All right, that's it. I got things to do today. Out, bang. All right, I'm out running. This is good stuff. So I'm listening to Back to Work, which is a podcast. It's a productivity podcast disguised as two guys talking. (laughs) 
one of the guys is a productivity expert out the wazoo. But he's a little neurotic, so it's fun to listen to. And then on the, in the back half of the latest one, it's the uh, it's the one where they're talking about Robin Williams. Talking about how you thoughts aren't real. So you, if you force yourself to change what you're thinking about, you can change your attitude and pull yourself out or in to a state of mind that's better. But anyway, I am running on a full stomach on purpose to try to get my belly used to fueling. And I'm out running longer. I'm upping my volume by adding a street here, adding a street there. And changing my mindset that it's okay to run a little bit later so I can get this volume. So with a different goal, you can change your frame of mind. I need to walk a second so I can fart. Hope y'all didn't hear that. Oh, that's a big one. Oh, that reminds me. That reminds me. If you get stomach pains while running, and probably biking, it's probably gas. And you don't have to run a long time with stomach pain. My mom taught me this when I was a little kid. I had a stomach ache, a tummy ache. Stop what you're doing. Get on all fours and then press your face to the ground so that your digestive tract is upside down. And give it a minute and you will have a huge gas bubble come out your backside and you will feel fantastic after that tough to do on an Ironman race course on the run and there's thousands of people standing around they're going to ask you if you're puking what's up feel like I'm fine I just got to fart and then fart and everybody laughs and then go on it's cool when you fart goes in try It'll be all right. I promise you. Be embarrassed for 30 seconds. Or take an extra hour on the run. It's your choice. Because if your stomach's not working, you're not absorbing fuel. All right. Now, I got my own productivity tip, so I try not to get hit by a car. Hold on, drink some water. And on this run, by the way, I don't care how fast I'm I'm going longer, so I'm just running easy. Okay. Hold on. 
moving things around. So I'm highlighting something in Chrome on the computer and then right click on a web page, highlight some text, right click, it goes read aloud, right? A little piece of text. Basically, it's asking, do you want to read this aloud? Oh, man, my stomach. Oh, this is the side effect of not being used to eating and running. And this is what happens during a race. Hold on. had to pee and fart. I pushed too hard to fart, fart pee in my pants. I decided to pee too. It's not like running in the dark, you can pee pretty much anywhere, no one will know. Okay, I'm coming up a little bit on the highway here. It's getting, gonna get a little louder. Anyway, so I'm like, read aloud, right? And a voice comes out of the computer reading the text. I know a lot of those of you that already know this, you're like rolling your eyes like, yeah, really? But to those of you that don't know this, check this out. This gets really good. So there's this three-page article on Traffleet Magazine online. Interview with Miranda, Miranda, Miranda Carfrey about qualifying for Kona and stuff like that, which I'm going to tell you about in a second. It was hugely important. My stomach is upset. That was too much pasta for dinner. <laughs> anyway, this article was hugely important. Alright, but it's three pages. Every minute, every second that I'm reading that, because a second it's taking me longer to coach or to or to um, or to podcast. To get out a podcast or to get ready to run, right? 99% of triathlon is time management. Always pick the fastest thing first, get more done. You'll never become even a half decent triathlete if you don't learn to manage your time. You're trying to do three sports in one, people. All right. So, I highlight all the text, let it start reading. And it's a really good article. And I'm listening to it while I'm taking the latest Tawny Prazak interview that she and I did together on Skype and converting it from uh, MP3. No, I've got to convert it from a movie file, an MOV, to an out of that and then once it's in that I got to a to a mp3 then once it's in that I gotta convert it why do I have to convert it to a wave oh 
I've got to convert it to a wave because I've got to level it because her audio is always louder than mine. And I've got to put it in level later and level later will only take a wave file. Right? So this is complicated stuff, man. And it's taking my vision. I'm pointing at my eyes right now. It's taking my vision to do this. Oh, we got some walkers. Hold on a second. Okay. So all this stuff is vision. I'm not listening to any audio. It's just vision. So now I'm playing the interview in the background. Right? While I'm working. This is really cool. And I'm sitting there going, Oh my God. I could be highlighting news articles and stuff and letting them play while I'm working on stuff, right? And it's actually not a bad reader. It does a good job. You can put in headphones or whatever. So anyway, then I'm like, I'm done doing all that audio work, all that file compression stuff. Then I'm like, well, I need to start getting dressed to go run. But this article is really good. And I'm only finishing page two. There's a whole other page left. So I'm like, well. What if I open it on my phone, highlight the text... Can you read it from there? And I find the article, open it up on my iPhone, highlight the text. There's no read aloud function. So I Google it. But how do you read aloud text on the And it goes, oh, there's, to, there's a way to do that. You have to go into settings and accessibility and turn this thing on. Google it. It's actually, it's pretty easy to find. So now I got an article, page three of this big article, reading aloud on my headphones in my ears while I got my phone in my pocket and I'm going around putting on my running stuff, right? So now I'm getting my running done and I'm getting smarter at the same time. So this article is huge. They're fighting for women to have more rights at races. And as A.J. Balco said, the women are right. They're always right. <laughs> and yeah, they're always right about pretty much everything in my experience. Women's minds seem to be wired more towards moving the community, the human society along farther, further, farther as a whole. And men seem to be more selfish. And there's a place for all that. But if you want to make something better, (laughs) 
ask women how it should be and listen. So, anyway, in this meeting with WTC, she defended her right to not race as hard as she could to validate for Kona because she already had a spot. And Andrew Messick, the CEO, said he thought it was disrespectful for Pete Jacobs to do an 11.30 just to validate his spot. And Marinda did a 9.30, which was a lot more competitive. So he wasn't as mad at her. And she said, look, we're some of the most competitive people in the world. If we're not racing as hard as we can, then there's something wrong with the system. We think it's disrespectful to us for you to be making us race a race which we've already proven that we're the world's best. And he was arguing with her some more. And then it came up that they changed the rules. She might have brought it up, I don't know. They've changed the rules. So if you win one of the uh, regional championships, like North America, which I think is Texas next year, or Ironman Europe, whichever one's the European Championship or the Asian Pacific Championship or whatever, you right then automatically qualify for Kona next year. And she said, so, all I got to do is win one of those races and I'm in Kona but if I win Kona, I'm not automatically in Kona. So therefore, you're ranking those regional races more important than Kona, the world championship. And she said that he paused. He goes, well, we're going to have to think about that. We'll have to... <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. And there's so much more in this article. And I got to learn it and know it by using some technology, highlighting it, and listening to it. Instead of sitting there reading it. And I got this podcast out sooner because of it, too. So check it out. It is cool. And I got something else really irked me today and that I also won at but I don't want to mention it those who saw it know it and yes I will do what I want don't tell people how to design web pages alright that's all I'll say okay I gotta get back to running more volume, feeling better. Oh, I guess this is kind of important. I should lay out. It's now dark. I'm running totally in the dark. 
three frogs. You know, there's no street lights on this. My current training plan for Austin 70.3, which is middle to late October, and then the Iron Baby, which is a full Iron Man two weeks later, is thus. More volume, intervals on the bike only. Okay, so more volume is uh, pretty uh, obvious because I've cut my volume down to about 10 hours. So I need to start ramping it back up 15, 20 hours per week. Finding the volume when and wherever I can, running at lunch, things like that, which I started doing already, adding extra streets. Now, all this extra volume is that an easy effort because volume is, a lot of times volume is the workout. It's hard enough as it is. It'll make you faster on your own. Okay. So I need to get my running volume up to about 50, five, that's five zero miles per week. And my swim volume up to three to four hours per week. So that's three to four swims. Just swimming every other day for about an hour. And during those swims, adding in intervals as I feel like it. Now this goes to, you don't really need to work on your strength. And my Ironman swim's fine. On a good day, I can swim an hour flat, 59 minutes. So, no wetsuit. So that's plenty fine. That's already Kona. Kona good. Okay. But, I have trouble on the run even though I run a lot. So what that means is that your bike needs more work. And the bike is the biggest part of the day and your run hangs on the bike. So you need to run, not need to run. To run better, you need to be better on the bike. Okay. And there's always room to be better on the bike. So to improve my bike, every other day on the bike that we have time to recover is to do intervals nothing crazy just some and then all the other biking and running is easy even though there's lots of it it's easy to complement the interval work so that it's kind of like recovery getting in volume and recovery at the same time so that I can keep doing the interval work on the bike and keep getting stronger on the bike because that is working already and 
instead of eating less during workouts, eating more and getting used to running while putting down fuel. Not working out when I'm not working out, eat normal. all these stories was it Meredith Kessler I can't remember um, but anyway Hillary Biscay interviews with that one guy Luke Luke 29 Luke 920 whatever. just horror stories of tons of vomiting during races Whatever her name is, a woman that just won Ironman UK. Overfueling and then puking. Right? These were symptoms of not being able to handle your nutrition while going. So it's something you want to train to be better at. And the way you train it is you eat while running and biking and learn how to handle it. Right? I hadn't even really learned how to digest it yet, and I'm already learning tricks on how to get rid of gas if you get it, right? Stopping and letting yourself fart and stuff. Over time, you get better at it. And one of the reasons I recorded while running on the way back is to keep me going slow enough, right? Because I'm able to talk. So... I don't go too hard so that I can keep building on volume tomorrow. Oh, it just got dark. I don't know where the hell I am. I can't see a damn thing. <laughs> Boy, that got dark. Going through a narrow path through the woods. Okay, I think I can see. Alright, that's it. More later. Hope I don't step on a snake. I think that was a snake. Alright. How do I turn this Alright, we're leaving the castle here. This is Intri uh, Estate. The long walk past the uh, the horse stables. It's about a mile walk to my, my car. Uh, past the Rolls Royces. And Oh wait, there's my car right here. <laughs> Alright, I got we're gonna wrap up this show and my car smells like ass. Holy crap. I gotta work on this. Oh, I left the windows rolled up and I got workout clothes in here. Alright. I'm gonna leave you with a few things to work on or to think about. One, I was listening to an audiobook and I can't remember the name of it. Sorry. But it doesn't really matter. Um, well, maybe I should. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Oh, I crashed it. And. Well, oops. I thought I was recording and then I wasn't. <laughs> Emily called, and then uh, the audio file gets corrupted. So I thought there was more to this, and I sat down to edit it, and uh, there was no ending. So here we are again. It's uh, many days later, but I went, I went back and listened to what I was uh, trying to uh, expound upon there, and leave you with a, a few things. So um, triathlon is this podcast actually is more about productivity than anything else, 
and there was a great post on Lifehacker about to be productive, actually you need to self-evaluate first. That's a very Zen thing. Um, pay attention to what you're doing and observe yourself. That's Get outside of yourself and look in from the outside and then correct the things that are um, going wrong. And um, this whole quantified movement where the quantified self where you go, you wear a Fitbit, for example, and then you say, oh, holy crap, I'm barely moving at all all day, right? Now you've evaluated yourself from the outside. Now you know what to do to be a better person, to be happier, healthier. And another thing is um, I've been swimming bilateral lately and um, found it once you get the, once you get it down, bilateral down, you can actually swim faster, easier. And um, the reason this works is if you even things out, you're distributing the load better. If you're uneven, say you're breathing on one side, you wear out one muscle or a group of muscles on one side um, faster. And that's your weakest link in the chain. And as soon as that goes weak, then your whole your whole uh, body can't go any faster because this one group of muscles has shut down. So instead of really slightly overworking one side, um, you give uh, that side uh, more more time uh, because you're sharing the load on the other side and then you end up being able to go uh, longer at a faster speed before, before failure because you're spreading things out. So it's really worth your time to distribute the load and learn to breathe bilaterally. Um, have somebody look at your running form and make sure that you're not running with one arm up and out, um, not loping along and on the bike, not leaning over to one side and pushing harder with one leg than the other, things like that. Yeah, imagine uh, that you push harder with one leg than the other and then um, that one leg gets uh, tired and that's your main leg and now you've you've failured out you've created an artificial failure point that's not necessary okay and then last thing is I'm trying to raise money for the uh, Tour de Cure which is type 1 diabetes uh, fun ride uh, charity ride and they have them all over and there's one in Austin and Emily asked me to do it with her and Emily has my wife has type 1 diabetes She's, she came down with it, was diagnosed with it, developed it when she was 22 years old. Um, we could tell something was wrong um, on our honeymoon of our wedding. And then uh, we came back and um, she was getting skinnier and skinnier and it was getting to the point where it was kind of scary. And then she, um, she got a, uh, like a yeasty infection on her tongue. It was really weird. And went in the doctor, checked it out, and they did a blood panel and found out her blood sugar was like really, really, really high. So what happens is your pancreas um, stops working, and they think it's autoimmune. Your body attacks its pancreas, and then uh, it stops working as well or at all, and it's damaged, and it doesn't create enough insulin now. And then um, they don't know why. Well, and then you got to take shots for the rest of your life all day long. 
and it sucked. There was a lot of crying. There was a lot of um, wondering what to do. Um, my mom is super, super smart. She should have been a doctor and um, stepped in and said, look, if this is one, if this is one chronic lifelong disease, if there is one chronic lifelong disease to have, she was trying to make Emily feel better. Uh, <laughs> this is, this is it. This is, this is one because they're so close to having a cure and it's manageable. If you take care of yourself, doctors say something else will probably get you first before the uh, diabetes will. But it is just constant, constant, constant uh, maintenance, maintaining, um, pretending like there's nothing wrong. And it's, it's really, really uh, hard to deal with. And um, I can only imagine. Well, I had one of my best friends, his brother, when we were kids, had type one, has type one diabetes still today. And uh, I talked to him uh, not too long ago um, about uh, what to do. And being, I was an integral part of their family. I was over at their house all the time, and watching what was having to go on to take care of him was just really traumatic. And constant visits to the emergency room in the hospital because of blood sugar issues and he's really athletic but couldn't be as athletic as he wanted to be because of all this stuff so they're so close to finding out a cure or um finding out how to do um uh, pancreas kind of replacement and devices and things like that to help people to help people manage their blood sugar um i wrote an app gosh, for the Blackberry or something like that. Palm Pilot, long, long time ago to help Emily take care of her blood sugar. Doctor saw it and said, man, you guys should patent this. <laughs> and I said, I don't want to be blamed for somebody's blood sugar going crazy and then uh, get sued or something like that. So the, um, the thing is, uh, the bike ride, so I'm going to record it for a podcast. I'm going to bring it to you guys uh, with lots of fun. And um, this is a disease that is so close to being uh, fixed. And again, it's an autoimmune disorder where the body attacks itself. So it's just the application of science, which takes money, will figure this thing out and help people get over it and uh, help people get around it and help us understand why this happens and how. Um, this is different than uh, the other type of diabetes is where it's somewhat genetic and then you, um, your body's predisposed to that if you apply too much sugar all the time, then you get, uh, your body starts ignoring your insulin that your, pan- your pancreas just gets tired of producing all this insulin all the time. Your body gets tired of trying to pay attention to this hormone all the time and it just kind of gives up. And um, that's more of a lifestyle uh, thing type one is your body decides it hates its pancreas and is going to shut it down. Um, it's afraid of it. It thinks it's uh, an intruder and tries to shut it down. And speaking of autoimmune, like I've got this stuff on my face where the skin starts losing its pigment. I think it's God. I had it wrong the other day. Vitiligo, um, and it's where your body decides, hey, the pigment in your skin is bad, and I'm going to attack it, <laughs> right? And so an autoimmune disorder can happen to anybody, anytime, and you never know. The money that you help donate may help save your own life someday or somebody that you love because when we figure out how this, how this stuff works and how this stuff happens, um, we're all, we all will be better off for it. So the link to donate to my page uh, for this ride 
will be on the blog at zentriathlon.com. It's a long link. So just go there and uh, help us out. I think the ride is in a few weeks. Um, and again, I'm going to podcast it. And uh, I'm going to, I'm, it's a charity ride, but it is, if I'll show up just to ride it as a charity ride, but I'll also show up to do it as a workout. And then if other people start going off the front, I won't be able to restrain myself and we'll turn the sucker into a race. <laughs> There's always somebody. A lot of times that somebody is me. So, oh man. Whew. Okay, that's it. Everybody stay safe out there. I'm really glad you enjoy the show. I get tons of emails about uh, the good work that we're doing and spreading the word. And uh, yeah, that's it. All right, everybody stay safe. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down out. <laughs>